New world order can emerge. A new era. A new world order. It is a big idea. A new world order. The affirmative task we have now is, uh, is to actually um, uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. After 1989, President Bush kept said, and it was a phrase that I often use myself, that we needed a new world order. And the hope that each of us has to build a new world order. The pieces are in flux. Soon they will settle again. Before they do, let us reorder this world around us. So that the problem of the Bush presidency will be the emergence of a new international order. We've got to give them a stake in creating the kind of uh, uh, world order that I think all of us would like to see. I think the new world order is emerging. And one of the ways it will drive the change is through global governance and global agreements. But in a globalized economy, we are going to have to take global responsibilities. And there going to, is going to have to be some semblance of global governance. That in fact, we're all going to have to give up a little bit of our sovereignty in order to make the world work. Already there are powerful forces at work that threaten to destroy all of our hopes and efforts to erect an enduring structure of global cooperation. Are you optimistic a global system can happen? It, from what it, we've heard so far. It, it, it could happen, and in fact it's in the work. And for the international order that we have worked for generations to build. It will be to add value. It will be part of the Young Leaders yes, Initiative. This is Merkel, Tony Blair, um, say we're all, even uh, President Putin, say we're all young global leaders before. Um, and, it's, and, you, and you pick the people that run those agencies and the deputies, they're pledging allegiance to the new world order. To bring China into the creation of a new uh, 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 world order. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Tuesday, January 18th. Thank you for joining me today. Very important opening there. Something that's been dismissed as absolute fake news for the longest time, despite blatantly saying exactly what they're talking about. It's very important to see that there's a, there's a, a different, there's different ways to look at this conversation. I mean, obviously you could look at this from the, you know, not in, informed, I would put it, perspective and say, well, they've been building an international coordination for all this time to better for the humanity, you know, blah, whatever. Sure. And I'm sure some people see it that way and some people believe that or are doing so. But we have to realize that in just in the last so many, just last, let's say the two, last two decades, we have seen this increasing discussion, not just about building international coordination, but a new world order. A new order, not the one we've been living in, but something new designed by the people we're talking about here. Now, you could still pretend that that means it's all good, and maybe it is, and maybe we're wrong. But we need to acknowledge, before we even get into the hows and whys, that it is happening, right? I mean, that's the incredible part about this, is we're literally watching in many ways. Again, that becomes abstract for some of them that this is connected, but that they're openly talking about that. And you can even, again, argue that it's a good thing doing for, you know, for good reasons for all the people of the world. But yet they are coordinating around the world amongst different entities, corporations, companies, 
countries, leaders to create this new world order. What's funny is if you frame it like that, plenty of them will be like, well, yes, they're fighting for you. But if you come just simply out and discuss something and say, do you believe in what in their building of a new world order? It'll be framed as a conspiracy theory. There's an example like that today. Of, and we'll actually write out right, right in the beginning here. We'll talk about something Klaus Schwab just said. And if you were to have said this a week ago or even right now on Twitter, you'd be framed as a conspiracy theorist, despite him literally saying it right now. It's this interesting disconnect, and it's a choice in a lot of ways. And we're going to talk about that in the always overarching discussion of technocracy, Build Back Better, the Great Reset, and how they're driving you to this right now. Digital IDs and the whole thing. But today, we're going to focus specifically on a couple of factors, some new information coming out around parts of this injection including the lipid nanoparticles. We know we're there and how more studies are do it telling you what I've been telling you from the beginning, that these things are highly inflammatory and dangerous. And the only way they were able to get this thing to work, meaning the mRNA instructions delivering the, or delivering the instructions to create the spike protein is by increasing the lipid nanoparticles, except that was exactly what they did before and why they kept failing because the increasing of the lipid nanoparticles was exactly why they found they had such a dramatically high level of adverse events. Because that's totally not happening today, right? Nope, I, there's nothing. We don't see it, right? We don't see it anywhere. It's right there in Vayers and everywhere else. And you can see that it is being reported at the very least. So how did they get past that problem? Well, again, I've made this point many times. Nobody has addressed how that ever happened. Why the increasing of those particles didn't cause the same problem. But it did, though, and we're watching that. And what we're going to see today is more evidence, more scientific research showing you that they are, in fact, highly inflammatory. And you're putting these in your body. And then factor that in with the cytotoxic spike protein, which is also doing this and everything else we've talked about. And we're going to end with a very interesting conversation about what else is in this vaccine. A very a solid panel, including uh, uh, Pilevsky, Pilevsky, who we've discussed before, and uh, two, three other medical doctors discussing what they believe is in this. And there's discussions that get brought up about things like graphene oxide, graphene hydroxide. And then plenty of others in the panel that don't necessarily, that basically say, you know what, we don't even need that discussion. Not necessarily saying it's not true, but saying, look, we don't even need to get to this point where we're getting into a discussion that has already been framed as something that is easily dismissed. Not saying not true, but we have in front of us at this moment, verifiable, provable data, evidence that this is happening, that the nanoparticles, the spike protein, clearly, and build from there, right? It's a very interesting conversation. I don't imagine this will be as long as usual, but stay tuned to the end, tuned to the end, because there's an important grouping of information, especially in the middle, that you're not going to want to miss in regard to, I guess, vaccine side effects, in fact, being imagined. Well, that's what the mainstream media is trying to tell you today. Oh, it looks like a lot of these vaccine factors just are making them up. They're imagining them. And then they're not, by the way, talking about anti-vaxxers. That's a whole other category of people that are faking them and lying because they want to make their argument right. This is actually talking about people that took it, that believe in this, that think they convinced themselves that they have these side effects. Now, I'm going to show you why I think this is absolute garbage. And also talk about how hilarious it is that they refuse to acknowledge the arguments they're making today around after vaccine to before and COVID. <laughs> Pretty much every single thing we've talked about with and from and mask and everything. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't apply it to the beginning of COVID where it was super serious and we were all going to die. Only apply it to where these vaccine effects aren't as serious as you think they are. It's, it's mental gymnastics and it's really embarrassing to watch. But let's start with, actually, I forgot I included this one point before we get into there it is. Before we get into the Klaus Schwab clip, just to see that you, I wanted you to make sure you saw that this was happening. And I, I shared this with a hashtag of false flag watch. 
I mean, you could take that either way, either side, really. Both of them are capable of it. But when you typically have the White House come out and go, look over there, look, Russia is just about to do this thing that we told you they would do that they denied. Well, I usually that means that there's something that's going to happen they want you to look at. And it doesn't usually mean that they're just that informed about what Russia is just about to do. This is an entirely false construct. The entire conversation about this and around this is ridiculous. And you could even consider this being more of a something larger that Russia and the United States might be working together to accomplish. Just a thought. I have no evidence to back that up. But what I do know is that your government has lied egregiously in every possible way around things just like this to get you, in some cases, to look over there while they're doing something over here or to continue to create the justification for their foreign policy or a lot of different reasons. But White House is telling you Russia's just about to do the thing. Right. Just so you know, that's where they're at. But here is where you should be paying attention, in my opinion. Klaus Schwab opens the World Economic Forum's virtual Davos agenda, introducing China's Xi Jinping, of course, showing you this crossover that's always been there because Biden supports this and Trump supported this and they all support this, right? As much as you want to pretend there's differences, it's all the same thing. As he says, which is very interesting to me, talking about what they're planning around the World Economic Forum, around Davos, around the Great Reset, all of it. He, he, says, he says a very interesting phrase. I see several priorities for the global agenda. Ah, the global agenda. We must continue to fight against the global pandemic. We must revitalize the global economy and accelerate its transition to net zero. Okay, right. So he just talked about the pandemic, rationalizing why we need to have a global agenda. You see how quickly that jumps? So we need a global agenda because pandemic, and then use that to go climate change. That, that was like, that was, that was one sentence. He, with a matter of words, he went from climate change or COVID-19, we're all going to die. That's why we need this to climate change to agenda. Right. Let's not pretend this has anything to do with climate or COVID-19. That is their vehicle by which they are on which they are pushing forward this, quote, global agenda. We must preserve biodiversity by deploying nature based solutions. Bio. We must. Wait, what was the word? Biodiversity. We must preserve. Preserve. We must preserve biodiversity. Preserve biodiversity. Where did this come from? Right. So now we're in, we're in biodiversity. Like, are we not, are we start, we're still trying to save ourselves from the biggest pandemic of the century? No, we're talking about genetic manipulation and, you know, manipulating nature. Biodiversity by deploying nature-based solutions. Nature-based solutions. And we must narrow the gap between the rich and the poor. Na so nature-based solutions. How incredibly counterintuitive. That's the opposite of what they're doing. Now, that doesn't mean, the way it sounds makes it sound like we want to use nature. That's not what he's saying. And then, of course, you know, narrow the gap that we've been creating this entire time that will only get exponentially larger when we create what we want. All they're going to do is drive more of the people that are kind of grasping onto the edge of their group into our group, right? The elitists will become smaller while the rest of us are the rest of us. That's what that will become, which may narrow that gap for a lot of people, which really makes them poorer, less in every possible way when they have more in every possible way. This is not my opinion, guys. This is how this has been framed. But that always leads by, or is driven there by saying, it's because this will make your life better. Trust us. To achieve more sustainable 
global development. Right. Sustainable global development. This is Agenda 2030. Is everybody in, I mean, I mean, let's not, let's, let's just pause for a minute and ask yourself, what about all the countries that don't agree with this? Do they, do they even get a vote? If they don't agree with this, they're considered bad guys. You see how that works? There's plenty of quote, bad guy countries that are nothing of the kind that we've shown you throughout a decade of research and and coverage on this show. So just because there, I mean, just, I mean, how crazy is that? We have to think about that. There's plenty of countries that do not agree with this yet. They're just going to be drug into it anyway, because they're not in control. So is this really a global agenda or is this a power agenda? The elitist agenda, right? The controlling factors agenda. That's important to think about. With these goals in mind, it is my distinct honor and great privilege to introduce His Excellency Xi Jinping, President of the People's Republic of China. China. Of course, because that's always been crossover this entire time. Those that are stuck on, as somebody put out with that meme recently, if they're stuck in in woke light, <laughs> where you know they believe the government's doing this and they believe that they're doing that, but except they still trust Trump, the government, and Fox News, yeah, then you're not really there yet. <laughs> and you can make the same argument in reverse to the, the left, and anybody lost the two-party paradigm. It's all the same. The global agenda, he says. Well, if I had gone on Twitter, as I said last week, yesterday, and really think about this, this is not some kind of a joke. I mean, I, I would challenge you right now. I would love it if somebody could make do this and actually prove it to me. Go on Twitter right now and say, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum are working on a global agenda to, to change your life. Or, I mean, yeah, I mean that, just, just like that. I mean, because that, that's, that's, that's exactly what they're saying. You'll probably get labeled misleading. You would be called a conspiracy theorist. Think about how crazy that is, especially going back far enough, right? You go back uh, six months ago. That is, you are laughed off, off, off the platform. Hi, you know, analogy, whatever. <laughs> and it's crazy that he's literally saying this for you right now. Global agenda. We're building this right now. Here is I would like- Henry Kissinger talking with Klaus Schwab back in 2017 about China's participation in the construction of a new international order. So let's not pretend that this was something that just rose up because COVID exposed all of our shortcomings, which is what they try to pretend. This is what the average people out there gobble up because they want to accept that these people are fighting for you, not using you as stepping stones for their agenda. To ask you, what do you draw as a conclusion from the speech of President Xi Jinping? I think that uh, President Xi's speech was of good God. This guy can bear. I mean, this is this is Biden too. I mean, this is the same. This I don't how in the world this guy is still involved today. <laughs> even it blows my mind. It just shows you the kind of elitist circles and the power structure, the the unelected power structure, right? I mean, this is incredible. He can't even pronounce the guy's name, but this is a person that we're listening to in a massive scale about the new world order that he's been preaching about for forty years fundamental significance. It laid out a concept for globalization and some specific challenges and roads to a solution. But to me, the most important aspect was that it was an assertion by China of of participating in the construction of an international order. 
one of the key problems of our period is that the international order with which we were familiar is disintegrating in some respects and that new elements from Asia and the developing world are entering it. Right. So to make sure we're clear on the differentiation here. What we're currently living in, which is still today, the disintegrate, or I guess that's, a, that's an argument you could have, but before this was the disintegrating order we already had. They want a new international order, right? So when we talk about this, don't think of it like this, this broad, ambiguous, ubiquitous concept of just this interconnection between the countries that they're trying to continually improve on. That's what you would hear it framed as. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about cre- creating a new order. A different structure, the different way that things operate, a different hierarchy that they're working on right now using COVID, climate change, and everything else to drive through when it's connected to none of them other than what they want to accomplish by using those things. And this is not my opinion. It's just whether you're willing to listen to what they're telling you. What President Xi has done is to put forward a concept of international order in the economic field that will have to be the subject of conversation and the substance of the creation of an evolving system. God, that was tough. That was a rough one to get through. I mean, it's like, why even, I mean, the guys just repeat. Anyway, the point is, oh, and and it's funny enough. Somebody actually, uh, I think it was Ivor Cummings put this, put this little clip out and just, it's an important point to make, like even independent of two party paradigm perspectives, that we have to remember this all started technically quote, you know, started as we, as we perceived it in China with the lockdown, right? When that really started, the China started the massive country lockdown, right? Of course, in the U S it was like terrible, bad China, bad. And then we did exactly the same. Like, it's just funny. I think that was the point to make. I think he was making with that tweet is that everybody followed suit. Now, was that because they were manipulated by the World Economic Forum and the WHO? Possibly. Was it because that was always a coordinated plan and China was just meant to start it and the U.S. media was meant to go bad, 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 so we thought they weren't on the same page? Maybe. Either way, think about that. The coordination of events, the fact that people were dropping in the streets in China and we never saw that again until mm, after the vaccine administration. Isn't that interesting? Either way, there's much more coordination that we need to think about and planning to how this all went forward, tying back long before this ever started. Here's the last one. Oh, actually, I just wanted to point this out. By the way, I, I apologize if that was out of sync. I don't know why that was happening. You can clearly see it's in sync here. And all I did was play the exact clip. StreamYard messing up, I guess. If I don't know if it was out of sync for you guys, but it seemed it was for me. But thank you, Bob, for the, sh- for the clip. I really appreciated that tag there because it's obviously I agree that there is a coordinated. It's tied to what we're talking about. Now, I want to shift over into this discussion of the collapsing athletes today. Very, and th- honestly, this was one of the main reasons I decided to do a show. I wasn't, I wasn't going to for uh, many re- other reasons, personal life stuff off on the side. But I shared this out today, and this is what I shared, this, and it got reasonable reach. And, and this was incorrect for multiple reasons. Not that there's not reasons to be po- – I'm going to go through this today and show you why it's obvious, in my opinion, this being seeded into the conversation, whether by people like – in, you know, genuinely trying to report or intentionally kind of counter-op manipulation so this happens, it's up for you to decide. Either way, this got jammed into the conversation. This is, this is from 2020 from the Australian Open, not from this year, okay? So which means it was technically before the administration of even the, the 
so we're told, the first administration of the testing of the injection. Who knows what was going on before that? Either way, it's pre- you could obviously argue that this isn't one we should be including, right? So I pulled it back. I deleted this. It's been deleted. And I, I'm, I wanted to make a point to follow up on this for multiple reasons. Now, clearly, this is a person collapsing at a tennis match at the Australian Open. But it's not connected to what's happening today. Now, the reason that I shared this is because it was it's it's, e- it's easy to see. You can see Melbourne. I mean, it's almost hard, you know, but nonetheless, I should have done more due diligence on it before I shared this. And I did afterward, obviously, and came back in and made a point to say, well, OK, interesting. This is not correct. Now, here's what I think happened. You follow along and I'm going to show you why this is being used to hide what is happening on the Australian Open right now. Verifiable things. Here, just so we're clear in the beginning, is the report from her from 2020. This is everywhere right now, and I'll even show you where it's coming from. January 2020, at least from what I saw that it came from. Here is, uh, oh wait, this was, oh, actually this wasn't supposed to be, well, okay, just make the point the same. This is being shared right here. You can see this is the same one, the wrong one from 2020, but it's being continually reported as part of what's happening in regard to Australia 2022, right? And here is how this is being used to dismiss every part of what's happening in 2022, Right now, fact check this video collapsing. And but here you'll find this everywhere. Isn't it interesting to you that in the process of less than 24 hours, one video gets spread stemming from people that seem suspicious to me. Then in the matter of less than what, less than five hours, we have every mainstream outlet everywhere, all putting out articles saying the same thing. Fake news, anti-vaxxers capitalize on fake video from before. Where are all the reports of the other ones that are having breathing problems or the the ball girl that collapsed, which they are covering to some degree, right? Where's all that? Well, this is what happens. And then then the average person that wants to dive into this wades in to see whether we're being accurate or not comes to this and they go, they're faking it. They're lying about everything. Well, no, not even remotely because we have almost what over 500 at the very least, just since the beginning of January of 2021 verified having had the vax and collapsing during an act. I mean, it's over. It's overwhelmingly more than what the four years total was. It was over just over 600. Nonetheless, the point is there's plenty of obvious valid reasons to be questioning if this is happening, including the fact that you have commentators, sport athletes, industries around the entire thing all going, this is crazy. I've never seen this before. In fact, you have commentators being censored while they're live as they start to comment on it. But yeah, let's pretend like they wouldn't know, right? Anyway, here's where I think this, this at least where I saw this begin coming from. Uh, Free West Media reports, three players drop out of Australian Open. Now, what what I don't like is one, this person here, Nicholas, Nicholas, Vasilashiliv, Vili, <laughs> terrible with these names. This what he just so we're clear, he played in the Australian Open and lost. Now, yes, he did have breathing problems, but this was during the one before this. Now, I forget what I just read it a moment ago, but it was not the same uh, tournament. Oh, God, I just had it in my head a moment ago. It's before this, anyway. So we saw this. This was on January seventh. He had breathing breathing problems. So why would we include this as one of the people that dropped out of the of the Dang it. There you go. Of the Australian Open, right? I mean, that's that's a little bit that's unclear. Now, maybe they got this from somewhere else and reported it, but that's that's not accurate. <clears throat> now, here is the report of the woman who in 2020 saying that this they told the news outlet, the Western Australian, that this is what they said. Well, they did, but that was back in 2020. Now, if they were able to find that, they would have known this from 2020. So I don't know why that wasn't included. Now, this is one that is, and this is also another one that is included. Those are accurate. I'll show you next. Now, in any case. What I want to make clear 
is that these are people, these are being reported and it's being shared in a very constant way that's being used to undermine what is happening. Now, this guy did have breathing problems, this Nicholas, and he did have to drop out of a match, but he didn't later came back, played as of today. It said, this is a report from today in a five set marathon and lost. Okay. Now that that's all established, let's talk about the ones that did have problems. Here's Nick Cairo Gios, star left struggling to breathe due to crazy condition. <clears throat> now let's be clear. Did they discuss this? Right. I mean, here they are going, this is fake news. And it's the right that, you know, undermining the entire concept of whether this is happening. And that's what the article really gets into that, the, you know, taking advantage of people's need to find out. So where's your talk about this guy? Formerly number 13 in the world. He withdrew from another match just hours before the game, which was set to take place uh, at the at this location. He said, hey, guys, I just wanted to give you an update on how I've been feeling the last couple of days. I've had numerous COVID tests and I'll come back negative. Whatever I've got at the moment is really wearing me down. Been kind of bedridden for the last couple of days, really struggling to breathe. My asthma's acting up like crazy, right? And you can see how these things really tie together. This is This is reported as of today. Here's another one. This is Bernard Tomic. All these, these are all people involved. He leaves the Australian Open facing breathing difficulties, right? I mean, this is this is very obvious that there's same. This is the same article from uh, Seven News. Eliminated for breathing difficulties. He called a medic. He was having breathing difficulties. He says, I just can't breathe. No air is going in. I'm getting tired so easy. That's not normal for these people, guys, especially with this many. You, one, maybe you could argue with some weird little thing that happened, some weird asterisk, some caveat, but not this many, not constantly, and not especially when we have somebody like, and this is, this is really sad to me, but it's important to see that this is not just athletes. This is children. And this is one part that I keep driving in that not even other people in this field are actually to point out the children in Pop Warner sports and children's soccer. I mean, I, th- from the beginning, that's what I started focusing on. Now, I, this gets, I get pulled away into this equally important because it's much more obvious. But damn it, it's just as prevalent. And I think more so, and we're just not seeing it. Australian Open players rush to aid ball girl <clears throat> after she collapses at the side of the court. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, this is frustrating to me because this is now three people in the middle of just the Australian Open that have already had these issues. Unexplainable, high, fit, top-level athletes. And nobody wants to ask the question? Now, of course, I said ball boy, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, that, like, that's what we should care about today. And this is, this is so you, you can just see it. It's how it starts. You just ru- they run over to help. Collapses. Drops on the field, drops on the court in front of everybody. Why do we think that that's normal? Can that happen? Of course it can. But as always, when is the last time in the history of this sport that you remember seeing a ball person fall on her face in the middle of a game? Come on. Match. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Now, yes, it can happen, but when we see this many continually, like I said in this tweet, which, yes, was based on an inaccurate one, nonetheless, it must take all you have to pretend this isn't happening. Now, again, this is what's frustrating about this, myself included. This is going to be used to dismiss these. Equally relevant, valid, are going to be dismissed. I actually believe that was on, I think that was intentional. I genuinely think that. I think there was an effort here to make the seed this in, so we fell for it because it looks like it's probably the best one to be used because it looks like the Australian Open, doesn't it? It is the Australian Open. 
Let's not pretend like that's not happening today. Very clearly. But the great note to point out here, though, is to remember that right now they're losing in regard to even the Australian Open because their their refunds of the tickets are outsailing the ticket sales themselves. They're losing. The only reason these things matter is because of you, because you care about them. And if they don't sell them, then they're, I mean, they're losing. They don't care, though. I mean, at least it doesn't seem that way. Now, finally, just since we want to remember the children on this discussion. Now, I'm going to, by the way, I'm going to keep up on this and find out what happens. The, ma- the, the overarching point here being that Jovovic made the right choice, obviously, especially since we see this all over the place. I think uh, I wasn't even going to get into it, not in depth anyway, but I figure since we're discussing it, I might as well grab that if I think I still have it over here somewhere. Maybe not. I hope I didn't close that. There it is. I'm trying to keep this up and going so we can refresh it like this. Like I just looked at it yesterday. Let's look what went up today. Five more athletes have had cardiac arrests after having the injection. Five since yesterday. And again, if you don't believe me, the re- the data's right there. Right there. Has the date, has the location, has whether they're still alive. It has the information, has the news story link. You can prove they had the injection and then this happened. That's all we're saying verifiable 272 of them died after that there's a whole category at the bottom of this article of ones that they can't verify just it's absolutely staggering so we will continue to follow what happens at the australian open just to make a point because of how obvious this is and keep an eye out for stuff like this that it's they will try to manipulate you they will try but as Toby Young points out, the the I believe this the uh, editor of Daily Skeptic, the ONS admits it holds the data on child deaths following vaccination, but has not revealed them publicly. Yeah, I wonder why that would be. So last week, a parent asked Judge Jonathan Swift to direct the ONS to release the data. Her request was denied. End of the story. So now force your children to take the shot, like you're told. Right? Does that make you feel good? You know, they're believing this. But yeah, they, they didn't want you to see the reports about how many children have died. But let's force this on your children because safety, because safe and effective. Good God. I mean, that is unbelievable. But no more so than the rest of this. Now, Ruth had a really good point on this. Just something to consider. And this is in regard to the overarching discussion. The architect points out, I think most people are only watching the Australian Open to see how many pe- athletes drop. Right? What, is that, what are we at? Two now and a ball boy? Exactly. Exactly right. That's the accurate discussion. Two people that have dropped out because of breathing problems and a ball person, woman, boy, girl, falling over. Now it's And then the person says, hey, I hear what you're saying, but if the athletes were collapsing from heart attacks, and it's not just heart attacks, by the way, it's all sorts of heart problems that often would not... Why wouldn't we see it in these? Now, by the way, we have though, right? Just check out Jay Wilderson's different videos. He's, he's all the way up on number three right now, which I love. I mean, his videos, are, he's got like 15,000 views on his third video. They it's and you can look it's all relevant, very clear posts of people that had this happen since his last videos. Now the point is that since the very first one, you can see some NFL, some and some of these people having this happen. Now, not all of them are during live games, some of them are during practice, right? But my point on top of that is there's a it's a very, very different way it's being covered in this country. On top of that, we do know that a lot, a lot of these professional athletes do not subscribe to Western medicine. 
And if you don't believe me, just look it up. It's crazy how many people understand that cutting things off your body and taking chemicals is not the right way to go. So they go somewhere else that are more cutting edge on the way you're, you know, naturopath, like, you know, the making your body actually heal itself, which is the way it's designed. Improving that process instead of trying to inject chemicals that hijack it and change it entirely and fail. But this, my point is that I think a lot of this is happening elsewhere or happening quietly, or they're afraid to speak up, or they're not even taking this because they're doing other things like Aaron Rodgers, right? Or I mean, this is just thoughts, but here's also another point that she makes, and this is the main point, and I think this is very sound. Short bursts of running do a lot less harm to an inflamed heart than prolonged bouts of running. That's obvious. We can all agree with that. It comes down to how out of breath you get, which determines how much time your body spends in glycose and glycolysis, glycolysis, Interesting. Making lactic acid instead of CO2 versus efficient oxidative metabolism. That's very interesting. And she and she goes on to cite a bunch of information, or just this right here you can read for yourself. CO2 is needed to release O2 into the tissues. But what, my point is that's a very easy thing to understand. People in football, which I played myself, you know, it's, it takes a lot out of you, but you're, it's in spurts and you stop. Well, it doesn't mean you just can't still reach that point, but people who are playing tennis, people who are running, are, are playing soccer, football, are are, are literally non-stop in some cases just i mean it's it's I, so the point is there's an obvious justification potentially why you're seeing it so much more in these or swimming for that matter right good point now just on a side note about what people are experiencing that they don't want you to see this is a uh the, what was it again a oh a senior editor day six of covid my now my wife and kids have it too. Oh, and by the way, it's the the it's uh he says he's an orthodox or a conservative. And why that matters in this context is because it's somebody who did that they were supposed to, even a conservative, which always continues to show you this is not some two party breakup. It's never been that way. It's so mixed up it drives them crazy, and they want you to think it's partisan divide. It's not. This is never. This has always been nonpartisan. It's all over the map, and we all see that this is wrong. Day six of COVID, he says my wife and kids have it too. All of us are vaxxed. Wife and I both boosted not long ago. Everybody we know who has Omicron has vaxxed, was vaxxed. Most also boosted. See, there's no way. Their narrative is falling apart in front of you. So I got to ask, what's the point of vaccine passports now? Security theater? Prepping social credit system? Right. Valid point. And since I just happen to still have this up, I'll just remember to grab these for you and include them. I want, I just wanted to show this since I didn't actually, that's weird. I didn't actually plan. I don't know why that's staying out of focus. doesn't matter. I'm going to share this real quick. I didn't actually plan to go into this, but I want to show this really quickly because of how important this stuff is. Here, as we're talking about these boosters and he's, you know, just the third one, they keep screaming, get the third one, get the third one. That'll work, right? Well, here's three in a row, three studies in a row from December into the beginning of 2022, telling you the vaccine effectiveness is significantly lower than than with Delta, and that and basically that in the first month after primary vaccination, they drop off to basically 36 percent, significantly lower, and that's what it was. Declines rapidly over just a few months, right? That's the booster shot. This is the and then it goes on to continue in another study from January, immediate term, but substantially less than Delta, and it says. Uh, right here, I thought I had it highlighted. Sorry about that. I was going to do it quickly. Two doses unlikely to protect against this. A third dose, some protection in the immediate term, but substantially less than Delta. And it talks about how it declines immediately 
This is the most important one. I'm just trying to get it quick and I'm missing the parts in here, but this is the most obvious one. It's telling you that relative to the unvaccinated the first month, it comes down to basically 1.3 difference, like almost non-existent after, this is after just the first month, but in the second month, it becomes small and insignificant to the third and the fourth months. And they make sure you understand that rapid waning of boosters in general, one, two, three, four, five, six, a thousand, they reduce immediately. This is what you need to understand, guys. And this is what the scientific research is showing you. They just don't care. Got to get that fixed. There it goes. And it's, it's incredibly important to see that. Now, this is my point I keep making about when they keep screaming about trusting the science, but are, are they looking at it? Do they even care about it? Well, no, because these people are getting the booster and they're getting sick. And everybody they everybody right now that has on this path is really uncomfortable with the fact that everybody they know who has it is getting sick. Ask anybody that's want, that's willing to be honest with you. Here's another example. Here's a doctor. He says, I was a skeptic to begin, skeptic to begin, but got the vaccine anyway. It took me months to come to terms with what is happening. These vaccines are dangerous, more than we could ever imagine. I was just speaking to a 30-year-old in uh, A&E a- 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 who had a stroke. A&E. I'm I feel like that's a hospital term. A and E. Let me know in the chat if you know what that would stand for. I asked her, I'm assuming it's I mean in the hospital, obviously you had a stroke. I asked her if she's had any vaccines. She said Moderna two days ago. Never put them together. We're also brainwashed. It's why numbers are grossly underreported. This is a doctor who is coming around to this. I mean, just look at his feed from before. It's amazing to see people are waking up. Another time, a 20-year-old girl walked into AM emergency, what would that be? Accident. What is A&E? That's driving me crazy now. Somebody in the chat, help me out. Walked into, so it's, it's, it sounds like an area in the hospital. I bet you it's going to drive me crazy. I bet you I know what it is and I'll feel stupid when you say it. Having, having stabbing pains at a uh, emergency room, probably, but A&E anyway, stabbing pains after the vaccine. I asked her which ones had pains after her second, but got her third anyway. The trope, sh- the trope showed that she had a heart attack. She said, I hope Boris doesn't make us have the fourth. Accident and emergency. Okay, so it's in the UK. Accident and emergency. Got it. That's what I thought. I mean, think about that. So this is what this person is saying. I hope they don't make us have a fourth, that they're going to go get it even after this. That's how brainwashed these people are. Another time, on the third one now, when I was in the cardiac ward, a 17-year-old lad was coincidentally placed in a bed next to me. Palpitations, pain, SOB, not sure. Heart cells release troponine when they die. His was elevated. He had his second Pfizer four days ago. A friend from school had chest pains after his first Astra, AstraZeneca. It was so bad, he got to, he had to go to uh, go home from work. Two weeks later, his heart filled up with 1.5 liters of fluid and was days away from dying. Case unknown. He, nor the doctors, even considered a link to the injection. Think about how dumb that is. Like how willfully ignorant that is today. A girl, and, and by the way, think about all the very, very obvious connections from the from fur, closer to the beginning of the administration that I guarantee were very quickly put to bed because they're damn well better not speak out then. Now it's becoming a little bit more acceptable to speak up. But think about the beginning of this. You know how many we don't know about that we missed, that they hid, that they covered up, that they didn't talk about because they knew what would happen. A girl in the year above me. Her mom had a heart condition and wasn't meant to have a mRNA vaccine. She was given Moderna and died five hours later, leaving three kids widowed. I was completely healthy, a long-distance runner without a family history. 
I developed myocarditis, had a heart attack, turned into cardiomyopathy. I'm now on a waiting list for a heart transplant. Guys, this is a doctor. Indeed, we should get him on the show. I would love to get to connect with this person. It's just, it's just so sad. And again, it's not like, again, just to make it clear for those that may be new to the show, in no way am I saying anything other than you should have a choice. You should have a choice to decide for yourself whether this is best, even if you're wrong, by the way. Even if you do translate that into somehow not doing something translates to direct risk to somebody else. I don't care. I mean, I shouldn't say that. I do care. I care more than most anybody I know about other people that I don't know. But it shouldn't matter because it's your choice and your body. And that lines up with domestic law, lines up with international law, bioethics, everything. We are off the rails today when it comes to everything they're arguing that we somehow have to do these things to help everybody else. Even though that in and of itself is clearly undefined, if not absolutely fraudulent. It's just sad. It's very, very sad. You should have a choice. If there's risk, there should be choice. That's the end of the story. And these are people out there. If you could, maybe you want to argue that they're wrong. He's he's mistaken. He doesn't understand it. Or maybe he's just manipulated by people in their basements with their computers as he's a highly educated doctor, right? Maybe. Either way, if he is saying it and he believes it and they tell you it's possible, why are we not asking whether that's what happened? I don't know why that's not the clearest thing I've ever seen in my life. It is. We know that. The guy's a PhD in nanochemistry. And nonetheless, he was taking this right out of the gate. Now he's beginning to see probably what we're all beginning to see. Now, Scotland, of course, because we're showing you Scotland, has some of the most obviously honest data out there that every category, in case you didn't see the previous shows, every single category over at least the last three weeks that I, three months that I've been covering this, no, at two months, I think, two to three months, every category, cases, hospitalizations, and deaths are not only the majority in the fully injected, but then the risk per 100,000 is more in every category for the fully injected. And I don't care if it's the only location on the planet that shows you that. That is very important and needs to be discussed, and nobody's talking about it other than the independent media. And even then, sparsely. That's clear. And if you think it's a, an accident, a, some weird thing that we need to explain because it clearly can't be true, then figure it out then. Explain why it's not true. No one's doing that. And it's that the reason being is because it also aligns with most of the UK data. It also aligns with what Ontario is showing us. Any place where you're seeing the, the contrast where you can verify the data is very clear. And now Scotland, probably aware of that information, is going to end all of its restrictions, specifically around Omicron, which is ridiculous begin the idea that we even created restrictions around something that is verifiably less dangerous if you believe it's there at all all of them on monday according to the minister which shows you they're aware something is changing or at the very least this is part of the planned rollback which is interesting even if that is planned because it seems that plenty of people in our government just haven't got the memo yet or the media for that matter but Peter Sweden points out, a ca- a gr- oh, somebody you should follow, by the way, because he's really up on a lot of this mandatory vaccination stuff. Australia is implementing, ma- or excuse me, Austria is implementing mandatory vaccination. We've already talked about that many times. But here's what's interesting. People will be doing checks. Police, sorry. Police will be doing checks to see people's status. So proactively going around the unvaccinated risk fine. So not, you understand this, just by being unvaccinated, not sick, but just not vaccinated, injected, you're going to be attacked, fined, restricted. Now, if they're pretending that this is not going to be about jail time, 
But remember that they said in the original that the fines will increase. And if it increases large enough, then they'll put you in jail. They'll put you in jail for a large enough fine anyway. Just because that's not because of this. It's just because of the fines. It is because of that. The fines are there because of that. It's, it's just a sidestep. But you'll be fined 36,000 pounds. And people can be fined up to, up to four times a year. If you said this in 2019, you, would, you wouldn't believe it could happen. Well, you'd be called a conspiracy theorist, right? Exactly. They would say, you're ridiculous, Ryan. What a dumb thing to say. How can you be so manipulated by these online posts? Well, even though we're not looking at online posts, we're looking at scientific research, but that's what the assumption would be. And here we are today, and it's real. Love that. Oh, and this guy asked that question. Well, I'm telling you right now, if they're not paying them, after a moment, they're going to go to jail. That's that's just the reality of how any situation like that works. But as we're watching this happen, forcing this on people, I want to make a point that I missed the other day that I forgot to say. This is as of January 18th on Ontario's page. Yet again, making sure we're clear that more than 50%, more than 50% of everybody in the ICU is injected. The majority of that fully injected. More than 50%. Not just in there with a broken leg and like, oh, and they got tested. You know, oh, you mean the same argument we were making about the beginning? You don't want to apply that logic there? Yeah, exactly. But see, they're trying to clumsily jam it into what they're doing now and it doesn't even fit. We're seeing that in, in places we're talking about, Scotland, the UK, the majority are people fully injected. And, ju- and even just generally in hospital, almost se- more than 75% are people injected. But you saw this the other day. This continues to go up even. Here's what I wanted to point out that I forgot to say when we were looking at this last time. Take note of what has shifted. The same argument, and it's not revolutionary because we already talked about this, but just going to the all-time specifically, notice the shift right now. The green line is the fully injected. Look at how much higher your risk is of getting sick. Right now, unvaccinated, which is the, this line, versus fully. So you're looking at what was that? 78 versus 102. That's almost a a quarter higher. Like, think about how crazy that is. 102 out of 100,000 are getting sick in the fully injected category. Only 78 out of 100,000 are getting sick in the uninjected category. This is the pandemic of the injected, especially when you combine that with this same area where most of the people in the ICU are people fully injected. How is that possible? This doesn't line up with what they're saying. If you have right now an exponentially higher rate of getting sick in the fully injected, and in that same area, you have most of the people in the hospital and the ICU, people who are fully injected, what are we seeing? A pandemic of the injected. Now, again, if this is only happening in Ontario and Scotland, then somebody explain why that makes sense. Somebody explain to me why we're misunderstanding this. Somebody explain why they got the data wrong. They're not going to do that because it's not wrong. These are the places where you can verify places where it's showing you the breakdown as opposed to this clumsy CDC page, which just spews data in in obviously uncoordinated ways. So it's impossible to see what this adds up to. This is very obvious, very, very, very obvious. And we will follow up with the new reports when they put them out. Now, here's an interesting discussion as we're seeing these things like this, right? Now, this just, this isn't adverse events by this or, you know, the way they're trying to frame this, this is real world, absolutely obvious stuff where people are, who are getting most of the cases, the fully injected are then finding themselves in the ICU more than 50%. Doesn't sound very imaginary to me, does it? Clearly they're in the ICU for something. They don't just put you in the ICU when you think you're sick, do they? 
Okay. So here is a really, really, really poorly put out study that the telegram first I saw it on. Here's the daily mail saying the same thing up to 76% of reported COVID vaccine side effects could be imagined. <laughs> oh, you don't say you mean like psychosomatic. It's funny how that you don't want to acknowledge how we're com- we're discussing, I don't know, long haul or just maybe being sick before all of this in regard to whether you were testing them and whether they didn't have it right now. No, no, no. All that's still real. But now we're only going to apply this logic to post vaccine and whether they have adverse events, just like the cycle threshold change, just like the with and from just like everything they're doing different on either side and pretending like that actually makes sense. This is so stupid. Even if it's real, by the way, which it's not, I'm going to show you why it's ridiculous. Even if this was genuine, it's so if that's the case, then why can't we go back and apply it before and argue that many, many, and possibly most people that were told they were sick didn't actually have COVID-19? No, they won't do that. Of course they won't. But this is why this is utter nonsense to me. Up to three quarters, they say, of reported symptoms of the COVID-19 vaccines may not be entirely real. May not be. So let's just be clear. We're guessing here. This is an assumption made on statistical meta-analysis that has no basis in absolute reality. Right? Don't forget, what are we always talking about with the, the level of evidence, or recently anyway? Number one being random controlled trials. What's the bottom level? The bottom level of evidence. Observational, expert expert opinion. That's the bottom level of, of evidence. Random controlled trials, gold standard. So when we're doing stuff like this, where some of these meta studies may have been random controlled trials, they're taking meta analysis, they're looking at stats and they're observing them and they're giving you their impression of it. So it, it's valid. I mean, it has some, some merit, but it in no way proves that these aren't real. Just make sure that's clear. Now it says they found that 35% and this, and by the way, it's really confusing in my opinion. It only makes sense once they do these adjusting things that they do and they add it together. It's the same way they're doing it with the statistics around the COVID-19 information. So listen to this very clearly. They found that 35% of placebo recipients, so people that got the placebo, reported an adverse event, like a headache, fatigue, or other symptoms after receiving the first dose and 32% after the second. So I'm like, when I first read that, I'm like, wait a minute. Well, that, how are we getting 76% are not real? And it says researchers found that 76% of these adverse events after receiving the jab, symptoms that do not appear at the site of the injection, instead after other parts of the body, were likely either imagined or a result of something other than the shots. First of all, again, likely, not for sure, but even then, we'll get into why they use this 76%. It says they call this the nocebo effect. Isn't it funny how we've never heard this brought up in other contexts before, only after the vaccine in regard to adverse events? When a person manifests or misattributes symptoms, they are feeling there are feel that they are feeling them to met. How'd I misread that? They call this the nocebo effect. When a person manifests or misattributes symptoms, they are feeling to medicine or treatments they recently received. So, same point. You could apply that outside of medicines and apply it to the same concept in regard to getting sick or telling you that there's a sickness and whether or not you start to feel sick because you think you're sick. Psychosomatic. Though no see, and by the way, nonstop repeated fear mongering telling you you're just about to die if you even breathe is enough to make people do that. No, the, it says though nocebo phenomena have been investigated in many contexts involving medication. Guess what? Evidence of their influence in vaccination remains scarce, meaning this is a guess. We don't have evidence to support the fact that vaccinations have this a thing. The point is they're pulling this from other things like what I just talked about. People, you know, being in certain situations and feeling they have that because they're in that situation. They are just 
cobbling this over to vaccination to make it make sense for what they want you to think. Read it for yourself. I'll the studies next. Those in the vaccine group were more likely to report side effects than those in the placebo. <laughs> Let me read that again. Those in the vaccine group were more likely to report side effects than those in the placebo group. Okay, so what are we doing here? With 46% reporting at least one systemic adverse effect and 66% reporting systems at the injection side. For comparison, 35% of people in placebo group reported the same thing, 16 in the area of the injection. Finally, it says at the end, quote, there is evidence that this sort of information may increase nocebo mechanisms, such as adverse event related anxiety. So telling people that this is not real may only make them do it more. <laughs> what? That's pretty self-serving. So now that we've told them, expect there to be more adverse events that are probably not real. <laughs> That's what, this is unbelievable to me. Furthermore, the information might cause a misattribution of commonly experienced non-specific symptoms as symptom-specific adverse events due to vaccination, even if these symptoms might have occurred in the absence of receiving any treatment. treatment. So they're not just going to go work with, we're going to get more reports and it's probably going to be even more fake. <laughs> Good Lord. Well, that's quite ridiculous to me. I'm sure you're laughing as well. Here's the actual study. January 18th came out today. Today. And they're already rushing in. How much you want to bet they barely even, how much you want to bet they just read the abstract and jumped this out? <laughs> That's what they do. But here's what it says. In this systemic review and meta-analysis of 12 articles, articles including adverse events, reports for, here's the first part, 45,380 trial participants. Ah, okay. So all we're doing, and not a joke, is pulling reports of continual, these reports of people that were in a trial way back in the beginning. Way back in the beginning, you know, before we started giving multiple boosters and shots and changing things up and altering ingredients and everything else being jammed into the mix. Yeah, that isn't very accurate then, is it? Shouldn't we include all the data of the things that are clearly causing the most problems, such as the second and third shots, fourth shots? Yeah, but nope, we're going to just go back to the very beginning, pull the data from a trial that is so incredibly convoluted and questionable for a thousand reasons, from Brooke Jackson's information to the fact that we know these reports where people were kicked out early on because they got sick too early. Oh, that came from fumble before. Could it could have. Maybe not, though. Maybe it came from the first shot, which we're now seeing today. There's a lot of things in that. So that's the first obvious manipulator caveat. Systemic adverse events were experienced, again, they say, by 35% of the placebo dose people, 30, 32% after the second. And it's, again, it says significantly more adverse events, significantly more were reported in the vaccine group. I forget if it actually said that in that, in that. Yeah, it just says more likely. Isn't that funny? Daily Mail looks like you forgot to say significantly, which does very much change what they're saying. So the point is, this isn't much of a conversation. Even the study itself, which doesn't make the argument they're making, it just simply says, frequency of these, right? And the framing comes from the Telegraph and from Daily Mail. Significantly more adverse events were reported in the vaccine group. So let's be clear. The vaccine group is clearly having adverse events that they don't really want. They want to conflate this with possibly being not real. But adverse events in the placebo arms or nocebo responses accounted for 76% of systemic adverse events after the first dose and 52 for the second dose. So generally speaking is what they're saying. And then arguing that because of that, that means that they must be 
mostly not real. But how does that even make sense when what we're dealing with today are not people that never took the shot having adverse events? We're dealing with people that took the shot and then have adverse events and they report them and they get dismissed. So when you're discussing the fact that 36% of the reports in the trial came from people who didn't have the injection, why does that have any bearing on whether currently reports are being made up? It doesn't. This is nonsensical to me. And the, the way that the mainstream media tries to conflate this with the fact that what you're hearing today could be fake makes me so mad because people will buy this. Meaning, it says, this study found that the rate of non sebo responses in placebo arms of COVID vaccine trials was substantial. This finding should be considered. That's all it says. But that gets even more clear. We go further down and I've got two things I want to add. Now, should be considered. The fact that people in the placebo arm are having reports. Now, again, I, well, I'll, I'll put a pin in that because the, next, the points that I'm going to make next come off of that point. Results here more clearly. 12 articles. Again, don't forget, this is stemming from people way back in the beginning. So even then, I argue it's not valid to where we currently are. And that's always how this works. 12 articles with adverse event reports for these people, which again, anyway, they were analyzed. After the first dose, again, 35.2. Of the placebo recipients experience these adverse events, being most most common being the small things. So again, all we're really talking about with most of them are headaches and fatigue. So again, why in the world, just because they felt a headache or fatigue in the placebo group, assuming it was saline, which is one of these next points, why in the world that would then be conflated with they must have made it up? Maybe they have a headache from some other reason. Maybe they're tired because they didn't get enough sleep. I mean, think about that. But of course, let's just bend this and squint it, hold it up in the light just right until it makes it seem like what you want it to be. Now it says the ratio between them, this is how you get it, right? So be sure we see that the vast majority, significantly more of the reports were in the people that got the injection. That's all you need to know, that that means there were clearly negative consequences. And then you can dive into how much that was. And I think the world is showing you that today. But when you just break down the ratio between the two and say, well, 76% of them in this were in placebo, therefore they're all made up. That's, I don't even buy that. I don't think that even makes sense. Then to pretend that that number applies to the real world situation is ridiculous to me. Significantly more, as it says, vaccine recipients reported adverse events, but the group difference for systemic adverse events was small after the first dose and large after the second dose. So even the second dose, it got, it got more, it became more clear that it was the vaccine part of it. In the systemic review, the meta-analysis, significantly more adverse events are reported in the vaccine group compared with placebo, but the rates of them were still substantial. Okay, so that's quite a bit different than what we're seeing here. As they want to frame this, as it's saying that anything you're seeing today reported by the anti-vaxxers is probably fake news. That's how that's going to be framed. Well, let's factor in a couple of things. First of all, this is in regard to this one specifically in the UK, understand. I talked about this in the beginning, even in regard to the Pfizer trials. Now, yes, they've been reported ad nauseum by the mainstream that you're a liar, that they only use placebo saline. I, there, I, I am certain that there was conversations with Pfizer specifically in regard to using something other than saline right in the beginning. That being stated, either way, the point should be that we know that there was some level of meningitis vaccine used in these trials, which is crazy to me. And here's one example, as you can see right here. This is on the UK, the COVID-19 injection. Uh, this is the, and this was the, yeah, the UK, Oxford. They are comparing it not to saline, but to meningitis. 
So right right then, we have to go back and ask ourselves, okay, if we're talking about something possibly being used other than saline, but doesn't that throw the entire discussion out of whack? Yeah, it does. Because if you're having a meningitis vaccine instead of a saline, well, then you're going to have some form of adverse event. You know why? Because the meningitis vaccine has its own adverse events. People argue right out of the gate, and that's what that article is entirely about, that this was obviously broken. They did this, and it was completely off the rails. Even though, remember, there were even people on Twitter that tried to pretend this is totally normal. It's not. I mean, that doesn't mean it's not done. But this is this is bad. When you use a meningitis injection or any other injection rather than saline, all it does is make what you deal with on the injection of the when you're studying much look like it's less because you're comparing not zero to the adverse events. You're comparing something to the adverse events. So it seems like less. That's not by accident. And then you can find yourself in this position where you go, look, we'll see. They were having them over there too. So it doesn't even matter. Well, that's because in some cases they were giving something other than saline. That matters. And I, I'm telling you, there's it, it, it applies to the Pfizer conversation too. And I don't know why we pretend we can trust anything they're telling us anyway with how often they've already been caught lying about things and the fact that they won't even still to this point show us what's in these things. But on top of that, for the second caveat, remember that they gave... These are, so they're looking back and they're studying the 45,000 people from the trial, right? That's what they're doing today. Well, doesn't that completely fall off the trial? Doesn't that completely break down when you realize that all the way back in the beginning of the year, they already gave them the vaccine? Long-term studies of COVID vaccines hurt by placebo recipients getting immunized. Yeah, back in February. So a year later, they're doing a study on these people. Doesn't that matter? Now, yes, these are reports of this from before, but I argue there's a little overlap there. But regardless, the point nonetheless was the original points that I made and why this is completely flimsy. Then there's obvious caveats. And the more that they keep this flimsy and hard to verify, the more it's going to be hard. To, they're going to point that and be like, that's not true. Well, do you know for sure? They're not making this stuff clear and they're hiding information from you. We do know that they did get the vaccines, which destroyed the long-term studies. Which, by the way, is why, and I'll make this point and again in a moment, it says very clearly, long-term safety of the vaccines is unknown. That's right there as of November 2021 from the Pfizer report. That's the current information. Then, to finish this little segment, let's make sure we make this point very clear. This is, this is JAMA Network also. Right? So here's the JAMA Network. And there, every mainstream outlet is screw. Oh, this is fed versus events. Seventy-six percent might be fake. Okay, they were right on top of that, right? The same day. Well, here's the report that came out November eighth. I guess they missed that one. Jam Network, same thing, peer reviewed. And guess what it says? As we've told you many times. Well, this study and this massive cohort of this French uh, population based French cohorts to suggest that persistence physical symptoms after covid otherwise called long covid may be associated more with the belief in having been infected than with actually having been infected in other words if you read the study it's pretty clear that everybody they test who has what they say is long haul never had covid and people that did they say only have taste and smell issues only that's it isn't that ridiculous it is ridiculous i mean it's absolutely shocking that we pretend I'm just trying. I was trying to look for that word really quickly. There it is. Whereas people that were actually have it, they claim only had, which means loss of taste and smell. So did they again just miss this? Right? One not not 24 hours has passed, and they're jamming this in your face. This is the same argument in a different way, psychosomatic. 
See how they selectively apply that logic where it works for the vaccine administration? Like, it's amazing to me that people can't see how aggressively dishonest these people are. And it doesn't have to mean everybody writing, but if you work there and you see this and you still stay there, then you're also part of the problem. The editors and the teams controlling these outlets are lying to you with omission every damn day, constantly. It's it's quite disgusting. And of course, what, the, what else they don't show you are the constant never-ending stream of peer-reviewed and preprint studies that continue to argue that there's an, a never-ending flow of problems that we keep finding from these injections. How many super rare problems can you put in a pile before it's no longer super rare that there's a risk, right? And then realize, oh, some of those super rare things aren't really rare at all. But here's another study, CMAJ Group, Canadian Medical Association Journal, shoulder injury related to SARS-CoV-2 vaccine administration. Now it says shoulder injury related to this is an uncommon event, but it can occur. And it says for patients presenting with unremitting soldier shoulder pain and reduced shoulder range of motion after recently receiving SARS-CoV-2 vaccine, clinicians should consider what's called SERVA in their differential diagnosis along with septic arthritis. Patients with serva commonly present with subchromial bursutis, which can be detected using ultrasonography, although magnetic resonance imaging is more sensitive. It says the risk of serva can be reduced by following proper vaccine administration techniques. Right. So what this is getting at is people being administered this injection inappropriately. Whether they're supposed to stay in the muscle or whether they're supposed to, uh, what's the word, aspirate the, aspirate the syringe? Is that the term? Either way, the point is that this is happening. And there's more studies finding out these things are hurting people in small ways. Sure, small. Add it to the list. It never ends. Well, here's another one. Differential diagnosis of dengue infection associated with adrenal problems and COVID-19 vaccine-induced immune thrombo, thrombotic thrombocytopenia. January 17, 2022. Yeah, you, mainstream media, you guys are missing these, right? You're missing them. Better get on it or they don't care. Well, here is the PDF. Here's what it says. Oh, just you can read, uh, you know, just that's I thought the, the abstract's not there. So here's what it says. And this is the important part of it. Because of the similarities of clinical presentation, such as headache, abdominal pain, thrombocytopenia, or adrenal problems between dengue infection and VITT, which we've heard from people like Bhakti and plenty of others. Physicians should be careful to make differential diagnoses. The point is that we're seeing these things that they're associating, that they're, they're saying we are ignoring. Remember when Dr. Bhakti told you if you've got a headache or a pain in your leg, immediately go to the hospital because you could be have a, bl- a blood clot. That's what we're talking about here. And they're telling you guys, this is a problem that we are seeing this vaccine induced thrombo thrombotic thrombocytopenia is very real and we are ignoring it. That's the premise of this. It's amazing that we keep going and that we, people are allowing their children to keep going. Well, here's another aspect. This is March 4th, 2021. The MRNA lipid nanoparticle platforms, lipid nanoparticles component used in this injection is highly inflammatory. Shouldn't be shocking to you. You knew this from day one because you watched this show. Here's what it says. However, the nature of the reported side effects remains poorly defined. Here, this is, if that was the only thing it said, but the nature of the reported side effects are poorly defined, and yet you're forcing this in your child's arm. Do you feel good about that? But it gets worse. Here we present evidence. Now, because this, this is the sentence they say before the study, right? This is where we were. Here, we present evidence that lipid nanoparticles used in many preclinical studies are highly inflammatory in mice. Intradermal injection 
of these lipid nanoparticles led to rapid and robust inflammatory responses characterized by massive neutrophil infiltration, activation of diverse inflammatory pathways, and production of various inflammatory cytokines and and chemokines. The same dose of lipid nanoparticles delivered intranasally led to similar inflammatory responses in the lung and resulted in high mortality rate. So think about that when they're talking about doing the nasal version, right? No, this stuff is bad. This stuff is dangerous. And that's what everything said, even just nanoparticles in general in any form can be dangerous for your body. They don't care though, because that's what they already have their eyes set on. That's what they're building toward for 20 years now. They're not going to put that away. These things can be dangerous. Now, I want to remember the point about mice in general. I want to make a point as we finish with this, well, not finish, but one of the next parts we get to is a video that there's an argument made in this next video that we they haven't done animal trials. Now, I want to make it clear that it's pretty clear that they have done some form of animal research. But don't forget that that was after the fact. They did, in fact, skip these in the beginning. Then they circled back and did small versions of it that are not adequate. That's the point. So when you hear them say that they haven't done these, I would agree with that statement, but it'll be used to dismiss them as fake news, right? So just we'll get there in a minute. Now it says, in summary, we he, here we show that the lipid nanoparticles used for many preclinical studies are highly inflammatory. Thus, their potent adjuvant activity and reported superiority comparing to other adjuvants and supporting the induction of adaptive immune responses likely stem from their inflammatory nature. Meaning, when they study these things, the very thing that is hurting your body is what makes them think it works. Just like we said from before with lipid nanoparticles and the reason they failed before, no one's explained why we haven't fell into that same problem. Furthermore, the preclinical lipid nanoparticles are similar to the ones used for human vaccines, which could also explain the observed side effects in humans using this platform. Down here, it says the, to acquire a more in-depth understanding of the global changes triggered by the intradermal injection of lipid nanoparticles. That's not the global changes triggered by giving people this shot. Well, that sounds pretty crazy to me to acquire a more in-depth understanding of the global changes triggered by injecting people with lipid nanoparticles. We report, we repeated the experiments presented above with the lipid nanoparticles complex with control, non-coding polycytosine mRNA. By the way, look at how creepy these things look. It's like pieces of people's skin cut off. These are the lipid nanoparticles, by the way, which is just fat, fat, fatty lipid particles, but still gross looking. But it says skin samples harvested, which is what we're looking at. Gross. One day after injection, we're split into and analyzed using Luminex and bulk RNA sequence, I think, SEQ. The Luminex data corroborated the flow cytometry findings and demonstrated the presence of a variety of inflammatory cytokines and chemokines. That's not good, guys. That's what they're finding when they look at the skin after giving these people injections. That's what's happening in your body in one one facet of why this is dangerous in comparison to the control sample. So people that didn't have it didn't have that problem. It says, we further found large amounts of signature cytokines of inflammatory responses in your body, in the people they're studying in this case. Our RNA-SEQ analysis revealed that thousands of genes were upregulated upon lipid nanoparticle injection. Upregulated mean increasing, duplicating, adding. That's I mean, the, your downregulation versus upregulation. We're talking about increasing this in your body. Thousands of genes. 9,000, in fact. 9,508 
with P0.05 and with the other 8,883 were differentially expressed. I don't know why that sounds like something. I mean, to me, that sounds like cancer, right? An uncontrollable explosion of, I mean, that's either way you want to look at it. Well, genes may not be exact there, but the point nonetheless is that's something that's not what you're not, you're not being told that. Let's make it that clear. Having an explosion of genes being upregulated in your body after taking this injection, just from lipid nanoparticles. Now it says, we also observed significant upregulation of gene transcripts associated with the activation of inflammasomes and downregulation of NLRP10, which is known to inhibit inflammasomes. Gene set enrichment analyses showed that activation of many different inflammatory pathways, including, but not limited to, viral infections. Well, look at that. So what well, basically, as I understand this, gene set enrichment analyses showed that the activation of many different inflammatory pathways caused by what they just discussed includes, but it's not limited to, viral infections. You got to be kidding me. So taking this lipid injection, in part what's in this injection, then potentially leads to inflammatory pathways that creates viral infections. What in the, what part of what they're doing doesn't increase your risk of infection? I mean, for crying out loud, the mask, the, the lockdowns, the injection itself, which increases your infection rate of potential of specifically COVID up 50% in the first seven days. The fact that the shot has been shown to in 50% of those taking it to dysregulate your immune system, possibly forever. Right. And itself, I mean, crying out loud, the spike protein, it never ends guys. This is stuff that you don't know about if you're not reading this stuff and they're not telling you, but the express is pointing out that doctors and scientists urge caution in giving the COVID jabs to low risk children. January 10th, why aren't they reporting this? More than 30 doctors, scientists, and members of parliament have signed a joint letter to the government's vaccine watchdog urging it to reassess the COVID vaccine rollout for healthy children, 12 to 15. New data showing potentially serious harms of the jab are likely to outweigh potential benefits. Let me read that again. New data showing potentially serious harms of the jab are likely to outweigh any potential benefits. That's that's the sound of the emergency authorization supposed to be being pulled. It's not happening, though. That is their premise. Benefits outweigh the risks, right? We're so far past that. They don't care. They're just trying to they're trying to sprint into the new Omicron vaccine so we can pretend that that is conversation no longer matters. Well, who cares? We're already on the new one, right? Put all that away. Take the new one. That's all that matters. And then we're and we'll have to take this much time to prove that. Right, we still think the benefits outweigh the risk. Emergency authorization, and it, we'll have to take all the. We'll have to start the process all over again. I believe that's what's happening. Well, Moderna, after everything we just told you, on top of everything we're talking about, Moderna is no longer going to be used specifically in uh, Brussels for under thirty ones. Why? Quote: Preliminary findings from Danish research indicated that vaccination with Moderna resulted in an increased risk of inflammation of the heart muscle in young men. They're, they're literally saying the Moderna vaccine would no longer be used for this age group because of that risk. Yet we're going to give it to children. Right? Anybody think that makes sense? <laughs> I mean, this is crazy. So let's bring this over into a very interesting conversation. What's in the vax? Now, a lot of you are going to really like this, and some of you are going to hate it because I don't go far enough. But we're going to talk about things that people keep talking about and keep wanting us to discuss that we've discussed in part. And again, because I feel like this is a valid version of what a lot of things are being discussed. A lot of things are being stated. And just because a doctor is standing there pointing at something doesn't mean that it's valid. I need things to be proven. 
And in this case, we're having doctors and in a context stating things in a way that I think is valid and reportable, which is that they are discussing things. They're not saying they know for sure. They're saying they're discussing valid points and, and research discussions from their colleagues and so on. And there's even a little bit of a debate back and forth, not so, so much of a debate, but as an, a very valid point about why some of these things could derail the argument. But either way, we're going to then after this discussion, go in deeper on a couple of these points to show you why it's not too far-fetched to consider what might be in this thing. But as you know, Larry Pavlevsky, we've talked, we've mentioned many times, he's been outspoken about this since long before COVID, discussing the very things they don't want you to know, such as that the aluminum can, continues to build up in people's bodies and so on. He's been telling you this for a long time. Well, let's take a listen to this. We'll listen to the whole thing through. There's a lot of valid points here about not only what could be in it, but what it's doing to your body. Now, real quick, I want to go to 130 because the guy who asked the question has this long introduction about his points. And really the point is what's in it and why, you know, and that, so I just want to skip past that. So let's start from where the doctors are speaking. So number one, what's in the vaccines? Number two, is this useful? So um, because these injections are experimental. For those in the podcast speaking right now is, is Dr. Larry Pavlevsky. And they're only being used under the EUA. We do not know the full list of ingredients that's in them. No one knows. We do know that they're supposed to be messed. So I just want to make a quick point. <laughs> As someone in the chat's going, Ryan, that's in the patents. Right. Do you know what I'm going to talk about next? Do you know what I'm going to get into next? Possibly exactly what you're saying in the chat. Maybe wait and see before you start yelling that I don't know what I'm talking about or that I'm missing something, right? Take a breath. We'll get there. You see, this is what it looks like to be objective and not just jump down a path because everybody else is saying I should, right? If you want, th that's why you guys respect this show, I would hope, because I'm objective, irritatingly so. That's what we should be hoping for today. In fact, the very concept of, of the hydroxide version is exactly what we're about to get into. So wait and we'll get there your RNA to manufacture spike protein. We found signature on the document. So all that sets up this question. Number one. Oops, that was too far. Right there. Two, is this useful? So um, because these injections are experimental and they're only being used under the EUA, we do not know the full list of ingredients that's in them. No one knows. We do know that there's supposed to be messenger RNA to manufacture spike protein. We found out that there's also messenger RNA in there to stop the body from stopping the body from removing the messenger RNA. That's a really interesting point right there, right? That's, that's, that's in my opinion, that's addressing the concept of the self-amplifying part of this, right? The part that never stops. Remember, we talked about this right in the beginning. And don't forget that that Pfizer was originally listed as self-amplifying, right? I have the documentation still. I've showed it many times. So the point is, it's continuing to produce the spike protein, which we know it is. So there you go. And so they made that the case. If, that, if, the, if you're listening to the doctor and his opinion, or rather the data that he knows, saying that this is made to not stop that. I find that very, very interesting. Now, somebody pointing out, that, uh, you know, whatever the person said in his opening question was was great points. Well, it might have been, but he's not an expert, right? I don't know why it's valid to have somebody we don't know, we can't verify, we don't even know their name, just spouting off things, right? That's, that's the point I'm making. Not that his points weren't valid, guys. We need to be better than this. We just because somebody says what we agree with, it's not doesn't make that video is not therefore important just because they're saying all the things that we all collectively. The only thing that makes these things important is whether or not it can reach the people that don't know this stuff. 
Now, this is what the other doctor gets into as well. Not saying that he disagrees with what Polevsky's about to talk about, but just simply that we're at a point now where what are we trying to accomplish here? The entire goal is about trying to get to the people that don't see this. So if you come out of the gate, like we're just even taking like New World Order, for example. Right now, if you go to these people and say they're building a New World Order, what are they going to do? They're going to say you're dumb, you're crazy, you're conspiracy theorists, they're going to walk away. But if you bring it as a from a, a couple steps back and you make it clear, here's the Great Reset. Here's where they're discussing it. Here's where they're doing it. And then you, can, then you discuss how the Great Reset could very well be this discussion of a new. Then all of a sudden, it starts to make much more sense, right? That's where we need to be. So the people that are trying to just go, aggressively push people into these conversations, when some of us are just waiting to find more valid information that you, I mean, it, it, interesting thing to think about. That it's possible on top of everything else that you may think it's completely defined and solid and the conversation's over. I may disagree. I may think that the data is not sound and that has to be okay, right? The problem is that we get to this point where we've decided it and if anybody else, everybody else doesn't agree, then they're obviously a shield or obviously on the wrong side. That's the two-party paradigm squeaking its way into your mind. Don't fall for it. Okay, going back to this. Like protein. We found out that there's also messenger RNA in there to stop the body from stopping the body from removing the messenger RNA. That's crazy. We know that there's lipid nanoparticles in there. We know that there's polyethylene glycol in there. Um, What else is in there? We don't know, and no one is holding them responsible for letting us know what is in the shots. Right, and that's a big point that people keep, keep ignoring. I mean, and they'll make this point in a minute at some point throughout this discussion that, that they haven't even told us what's in the supposed approved version. They don't have that information. How is that even possible at a time when we're not only forcing this on people, but acting like it's like the righteous good thing to do? The, the German doctor you mentioned found that it wasn't graphene oxide that was in it. It was graphene hydroxide and the potential for hydro, uh, graphene hydroxide based on his scientific understanding, was that it breaks apart in the bloodstream and causes razor blade cuts into the endothelial lining of the cells. Now, the point he's making there, which is interesting, is he's going, well, so the, the, the question asked brought up graphene oxide. And so he says, well, and so he's referencing some other colleague and saying, well, it, it appears that he found was graphene hydroxide. Now, what's interesting to me, just off a of thought, is that's an easy way for them to be screaming this entire time that that's not in there, that's not in there saying graphene oxide when maybe it's graphene hydroxide. And that's an easy way for them to be like that. We were never wrong. We were never lying to you. We've been saying that's not in there. Right. And they are different. So just something that popped into my head, that could be one of the ways we're looking at that. But I also want to be clear that he's referencing what the other, what his colleague had said in comparison to what the question was asked and saying that that could be the case, but think about it. And this is what the other doctor gets into is I don't understand if that very well could be the case. I haven't seen the proof of that. I would love to see it. And I will. I am doing more research on this, and you'll find this after the video. We'll go into a couple more things. But the point here is that what's already doing this that we know is doing that, verifiably so, the spike protein, the lipid nanoparticles, these things are causing exactly what we're arguing is simultaneously happening because of what he said was hydro- graphene hydroxide, that it's cutting up and it's causing blood clots. Well, okay, so that's possible. But we're we, right over here at the same time, we can prove that that's happening in regard to the spike proteins that they're admitting are happening. Right. You, you wade into the graphene part of that with people and they're going to dismiss that. Not that you shouldn't be, but let's understand it. As he's saying, in his head, we're trying to save off a genocide. Right. Yeah. I think we're all on that same page, guys. 
It's not more, more, more righteous to do it from one point in one discussion, which some people think. We're all trying to stop that. The point is to do this in the best way. And if you think you're trying to stop that, then do it in the way that's actually going to stop it. Not just that makes you feel good about saying the thing you think is right. What are we trying to accomplish here? Are you trying to give yourself a high five? Or are we trying to actually stop it? Right? That's what this comes down to for me. So this is a really interesting conversation. And there is merit to this in, in researching whether this is happening. Because for no other point than, ver- than ver- people that I feel are, are uh, trustworthy at the very least, highly credentialed, are acknowledging that it's possible. Like we had with the Reiner Fulmet group who discussed this. And of course, as I said then, they didn't say that this is something provable, but they did say, look, we have this example. For instance, in Japan, they already admitted they found metal pieces or whatever they claim. That very well could be exactly what we're talking about. You see what I'm saying? But I need more. Uh, of the blood vessels. Now we're seeing people with increased clotting in their blood and strokes. We're seeing over 100 soccer players internationally who've already collapsed and died on the field. And he raised the suggestion that the action of the graphene hydroxide is what's causing these blood clots and these heart attacks. And the- So again, you see it's way more than 100, obviously. But you see that's the problem is that right there, even if that's true, then all of a sudden you get this undermining conversation, which will be laid out as that's what they're saying is happening and then dismisses the reality of what is happening. Not that it's not even true, but the fact that that's how these things get used. And I already see that that's how that topic is being used. Sort of how we can see that the whole Joe Rogan Malone back and forth is being used to undermine the reality of all the things that were expressed in that show, just because it happened on that show. These things aren't accidental. These strokes. So any scientific mind, when they see any, any scientific mind that sees a list of, of observations then has to ask a question. That's what the scientific method is. Scientific method is, wow, over a hundred of these soccer players have died suddenly, and many more athletes have died suddenly. Okay, well, he says over a hundred, so I'll give him that. And there's some concern that there might be some chemicals in this shot that are creating not only the cytokine storm that Dr. New spoke about, but blood clots and strokes and sudden death. Um, the question that needs to be asked is, is there something or some things in this shot that could be contributing to the observations that we're seeing? Right. And so just to make it clear again, that what he's saying there is not necessarily that he's standing behind. That's what he thinks is happening. He's referencing a colleague of his to make a connection with what the person asking the question was pointing at, right? This is what actual objectivity looks like. This is what scientific, I mean, there's plenty of people out there willing to go out on a limb and maybe they believe what they're saying personally, and especially taking people like, for instance, Catherine Austin Fitz, who I respect greatly more than most everybody in the field, feels very strongly that there's a lot of misinformation in this topic, you know, and she's a professional researcher. And so, I mean, it's obvious to see if you're being objective about it. There are manipulations and objective, subjective standpoints, I mean, subjective standpoints in this conversation that are being used to push this out in a far way. And they all seem to stem back in an interesting way to people that I don't think are very trustworthy. So that's, that's why there's a, there's a level of this. I believe, as I said from the beginning, they're using real things in counter op type ways to undermine, to, to, to get ahead of things that are going to come out. And I think that's kind of where this is going. Maybe that's why the wrong term might have been used and so on and so on. 
right? So we need to be careful because this is how this works, whether foreign policy or medical tyranny. That's a normal scientific method. And then you assess the shots by looking at what the ingredients are, looking at the chemical makeup and trying to understand the effects of those chemicals and what they would have on the body. We do know that there's no study isolating any of the ingredients in these shots to test them for safety and biological effects in the body, short or long term. Yet, you hear they say these are safe. And just to bring to show you that, since I have it here, for those that may be new to the show, and this actually, this is exactly what we were just pointing at with the other discussion. When they gave them a placebo, or they gave them the jet, the shot after the supposed placebo, it, you know, it, it ruined the entire, although there is no long-term safety data right now, none at all. So when they keep telling you it's safe and effective, they don't know that. And they're willing to admit that in their own information. Long-term safety data is un unknown. And right above that, just since showing on the screen, they also don't know whether they're safe to, they, the injections are safe alongside the flu shot. It says right there, studies to determine if the co-administration of these injections may affect their safety are not done. They don't know, but they're doing it anyway. Because that makes sense, right? So they've got to wake up somebody with that. Right? So when your observation in the real world differs from what they say, do you pay attention to what the authority tells you? Or do you adhere to your observation and your experience and question further? When you realize that the more you question, the more you get censored, then you know where you are. And that's where we are. Because a good scientific question would be, huh, this is really interesting. You know, almost 20,000 people have reportedly died in the United States after having received the shot within two weeks or three weeks. And that may be only less than 1% of the total number of reports of deaths that are usually reported to VAERS. This is interesting. Shouldn't we investigate what might be in this shot? But what the censors say is, no, nothing happening here. There's nothing going on here. So the, the question of what's in a vaccine um, is almost immaterial because none of the ingredients of a vaccine are ever evaluated separately. The vaccine is evaluated as an entire uh, shot. That wasn't my notification, by the way. That's on the video. <laughs> but so what he's basically talking about there to start this off is an interesting point. I didn't know that before, actually, that the so these shots are never evaluated independently, like the ingredients by themselves. It's it, they're only evaluated as a whole. Right. And so his point being that, 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 that at the end of the day, in regard to the conversation, in regard to how the mainstream will address this, it's sort of immaterial. But this, the point he's going to get into here, I find to be very, very important. You could disagree with it, but we have to acknowledge that there's an obvious truth to what he's getting at here. And that you can, it does seem to suggest, I mean, you could, you could come to your own conclusions about whether it sounds like he doesn't agree, whether or not there's graphene hydroxide in this. But at the very least, you can see all he's simply saying is that whether or not it's true, we have more than enough in front of us right now, right this moment. To shut this down, if if the mainstream was being honest about this, it's right in front of you, right? We have everything we need, so it kind of becomes an interesting point. To then, why would we jump include something? And there's valid arguments for you again why you would, but I just think it's an important thing to consider. 
that there's, and you could take this to other things than this graphing discussion, right? There's other discussions about, like I just said, about the long-term plan of whether we're building some technocratic future or 5G technology, right? We all know that some of these buzz topics, when you jam them in, drive people away. And we apply that logic when we discuss other things. So why wouldn't we do it here as well? right? It's all about what we're actually trying to achieve. And I'm not talking about self-censorship. I'm just saying selectively discussing things with people that don't fully see the picture until they understand it and you bring them in slowly, right? That's what I'm talking about. So, you know, the FDA doesn't approve vaccine adjuvants. The FDA doesn't approve polysorbate 80. The FDA doesn't approve any of that stuff. They approve the MMR vaccine or they approve the Tdap vaccine or they approve one of these COVID vaccines. So, you know, whether there's um, whatever the ingredients might be in there, you have to study it based on the whole compound. So when you look at um, some of the things in there, I mean, you know, you don't have to go to self-assembling nanobots. Let's just start with the phospholipids that are in there, all right? So these are completely unnatural phospholipids. They do not occur in nature. They are man-made. They have the opposite polarity of any other phospholipid. Why does that matter? Because every membrane in your body is made of phospholipids. So what happens when you take a phospholipid that has the opposite charge? It's going to bind to those membranes. What happens when that occurs? We don't know. Why? Because they never did animal studies. This okay, there's the point I was making before, and he's referencing the same lipids we're talking about. Now, I agree with the general sentiment. Like They really didn't do this, not in the way that they should have at the very least. So just consider that, especially since in the beginning, they didn't. And it was retroactively done after the fact. Remember, that was they tried to argue why that made sense. And that's when I pointed out early on that people like RFK Jr. were discussing that that's exactly where you find the biggest problems. And I argued that's probably why they skipped it and only did it after the fact, after it had already been jammed into people's arms. This is the whole point of animal studies to find out what happens when you inject this vaccine into a living being. And the nice thing about mice and rats is they don't have an 80-year lifespan. So you can see effects like cancer and infertility and all the things we talk about, and they say we're whack jobs for talking about it. You can see what happens in an animal model doesn't necessarily apply to humans, but you look at drugs, drugs will have black box warnings that say this caused thyroid cancer in rats, this caused ovarian cancer in mice. You don't have that with this vaccine because they've never studied it in animals. So you don't have to go off the deep end with, with conspiracies and self-assembling nanobots and all that, because I will tell you, you start talking that way in mainstream, you are going to be completely dismissed as a whack job. Nobody's going to listen to you. You know, but if you say, gee, you know, when we use this, this vaccine on mice and rats, they develop thyroid cancer. Okay, that would be a concern. But they never did this with this vaccine. You know, and the reality is, you know, you can say that they don't have to disclose what's in an EUA vaccine, an experimental vaccine. They haven't even disclosed what's in commodity, which technically was approved by the FDA. Right. We can't even get that data. You know, so it makes it very, very suspicious what's in there. But remember, all these ingredients, they damage the cell. And then let's just look at the spike protein, right? If this thing works the way it's supposed to, it's instructions for your body to make spike protein. What happens when you inject spike protein into animals? They have strokes. They have heart attacks. They develop myocarditis. It's a toxin. Make sure you hear that. You know this because you're watching this show. We talked about this from the beginning. And you listen to a lot of other experts that are saying exactly the same thing. We are putting something in our, they're putting something in their bodies that creates, that triggers the creation of something that is dangerous. 
just because they claim that your body will then you recognize it a certain way to be able to fight the other ones. But the point is we know it keeps going. It keeps creating them. It circulates your bloodstream. We see this based on the peer-reviewed research that they're ignoring while screaming trust the science. This is dangerous. So if it's very clear. The spike protein itself, as the Salk Institute pointed out, is cytotoxic, can cause disease, which means it can cause symptoms that can be spread again. And what they're telling you is right here that you put it in animals, it causes everything we're seeing happen right now in the world. Then add on the fact that lipid nanoparticles themselves also have these problems. Then add on to that all the other things we've added into it. Every other which way it increases your risk. It does, I mean, for crying out loud. If you think that there's, I mean, if you can hear all of this and all the peer-reviewed science we link and show alongside it and walk away thinking that nothing makes sense here, that there's no evidence to back this up, you're choosing to hide from this. It's very simple, I think. All right. And you're injecting instructions on how to make a toxin. We have no idea how long your body's going to make that. We have no idea how much you're going to make. You know, if I give you an injection uh, of, of, of an MMR vaccine, uh, or not an MMR, of a DTaP vaccine, I know how much aluminum you're getting. Everybody gets the same dose. If I inject you with this, I have no idea what the toxin level is. Because you might make this much toxin, this much spike, and I might make this much spike. Right? So we have no idea. And that's the scary thing about this. And again, this is this is science, and nobody's even listening to this. Exactly. Do you think they're going to listen to graphene hydroxide or, or self-assembling nanobots? No way. So. Right. You, you, you know, my take, despite the fact that he frames it as conspiracy or whatever else, my, my take is that he knows about this stuff, right? I mean, that's why Pilevsky's in the panel. I mean, it's not hard to realize self-assembling nanobots is something that's been discussed openly in research for decades, Right. I mean, it's not something that's completely crazy. On top of that, just wait till we get done. I'm going to show you multiple open research, which I'm sure plenty of the chat have already seen in regard to exactly the things we're discussing in how they work with vaccines and how they will revolutionize the future. And then it gets real quiet right about 2020. Right. So you could take that for what you will. That's just simple data, studies, peer reviewed and otherwise. So is it possible? Of course it is. They've been studying that exact thing. But the nonetheless, the point is about proving this. You may think that's the case. You know, you, if you want to know more about La Quinta and the fifth column discussion, you can watch Whitney and I's discussion about that. That's the Catherine Austin Fitz discussion right there. She was the very discussion that she found to be very, very, very unsound for many reasons. We went over that research. Doesn't mean it's not real. I genuinely believe that entire discussion was driven by that group and by the people that discussed it. So it would be undermined. I could be wrong. But it's incredible to think about how obvious it is that this stuff is possible and that it's being dismissed as wild fake news, which tells you something. But as he's saying that, it's, if they're going to dismiss the valid stuff that we can prove in peer-reviewed research, you see what I'm saying? Like it just, it's, We have to think about what we're really trying to accomplish here. That's, that's my point that I will keep reiterating. That's how I frame this entire show. It's about reaching the people that are lost, not just high-fiving with each other about things we think we already know. I know most of you agree with that. I have, um, well, to, to, I love your question, and I think it kind of applies to all of us. We hear all these stories and see research papers, and, and you know, some of them are kind of, you could label as conspiracy theories, but some are grounded in a lot of fact and research. And um, what I like to do is, I, I like to keep things a lot more simple with people. If you're trying to reach somebody with, to get them to start thinking critically about this, 
and you don't show them a bunch of, you know, articles about 20 different aspects of this and nanobots, like you were just saying. You keep it simple. And I think um, what I like to do is, is talk about how everyone has always accepted vaccination in our society. Almost everyone has accepted it as good and wonderful. Very few people question it. There's very few anti-vaxxers out there. And, you know, that's not true. There's a lot of, a lot of us out there. But... Everyone kind of accepted vaccines, and the few that spoke out against them, they're just, you know, they lose their medical licenses or whatever. Now look what's happening with COVID. It's a completely different ballgame. Many, many health professionals are speaking out and raising questions about COVID specifically, about COVID vaccine. Look at the discrepancy. We all accepted vaccination, and you probably accepted the vaccine policies, you know, but why are so many doctors raising questions and speaking out specifically about COVID vaccine now? And don't you think that's interesting? Um, you know, professors at universities, researchers, doctors, uh, medical professionals, people that have devoted their lives to research are now putting their jobs at risk. At great, great, great expense to their careers. Guys, that's the point that needs to be stressed here. Unbelievable. I mean, it's so incredibly obvious how there's no benefit to this. I mean, they're trying to frame this as people are coming out and, you know, embracing the anti-vax crowd, which is not even what they pretend it is. There's all sorts of different opinions in here. And claiming like this is a benefit to them. Like like Dr. Jensen has clearly just broke through. to He's in the one percentile, right? No, he's lost his practice. I mean, these people have been attacked in a thousand different ways. And they're being dismissed and they, won't, they can't find jobs. I mean, guys, they are... And every way losing because they're standing up for what they believe in. It doesn't mean that they're right, right? They could be wrong. They could be completely misled, but they're, it shows you integrity because they believe what they're doing is right. And they're standing up for it in the face of some of the most clear consequences that I've ever seen unjustified, but I've ever seen. That's so important. And he's right that we are seeing an unbelievable amount of doctors, mainstream doctors, Yale and Harvard, people standing up going, wait a minute, guys, this doesn't make sense. And yet we pretend like that somehow adds up? Because they're questioning. They've all accepted vaccines, you know, perfectly well. Um, but now they're questioning this. Why? Why do you think that is? If you can simply pique their interest, don't, you know, don't say nanobots and don't say Fauci and don't say, I mean, all those things that they're, they're going to you know, trigger in their mind, you're a crazy person. You want to trigger in their mind, hey, that's interesting. I wonder why so many university professors are also questioning this when they've never questioned the vaccine narrative before. Maybe I should look into that. And if you can achieve that, that's you've, your job is done. Because nobody researches deeper into vaccines and finds this nice package of safety research that now they feel great about it and it's all good. No. Someone researches about vaccines, they start to find questions, more questions, more questions that are never answered. I, what's interesting about what he said there is you, there may be people that think otherwise, right? There are people out there that are on the side of the narrative and they go, well, I just looked it up and I'm satisfied. Well, to be clear, he's right. If you think, if you sit down and try to research all the, you know, the clear evidence for why and this is, you're not going to find the data. You're going to find mainstream reports about why that's what you should think. Now, again, they believe that is the data. That's how people have been manipulated today. They believe that trusting authority, the CDC, mainstream narratives are doing research. That's ignorance. 
They're trying to mislead you, or they could be, or they could be wrong. They're people, they're fallible. The doing research is actually doing research about the, the source material of the claim, right? So that's his point. That's not out there because it doesn't exist. They haven't revealed the full ingredient list. They haven't shown all of this. They're, ra- they're, they're right now dragging their feet to potentially 2096 to release all the information, right? So when you do dig in and ask questions, all you do find is more questions. He's right. And so all the people that are going along with this are people that are trusting what they're told. And most of them thinking that means they're informed. And that's sad. If you can achieve that, then, then you've done your job, all right? And, and you don't look like a crazy person. And, and so I, that, that's kind of how I approach this. It's more like a relationship, get them to think about it, not you know, throw five scientific facts at them that you believe that, that mean nothing to them, all right? And anyway, more about that tomorrow from me. Thank you. Oh, could I just Dr. Add, Moss? Yeah, just add one more thing. Okay. So natural immunity is a really good example of where some of the Harvard and Johns Hopkins physicians are questioning stuff, and right. these were not ones who would have stuck their necks out before. Exactly. Uh, Dr. Marty McCary, who's at Johns Hopkins, Dr. Martin Kuldorf at Harvard, they're, they're, they're basically saying, we've always known that natural immunity is better than vaccine-induced immunity. Why all of a sudden are we turning this on its head and saying, no, no, vaccine-induced immunity is, is better? And so I think that following what Bob said, you have to ask, what is it they're trying to do? To give you an example, and I'm not, I'm not the pediatrician in the group, but MMR, I mean, I read about MMR, and supposedly after about 22 years, about 30% of people who are fully vaccinated with the MMR vaccines have what's called secondary vaccine failure, and they no longer have immunity against measles. I'm looking to see if my pediatrician... Mumps especially. And mumps, mumps also. Well, mumps actually... Yeah, mumps, there's a real question about how effective that component is even from, from day one. But Now, what's crazy is, guys, they're referencing research about mRNA before COVID. I, and, and this stuff is, it's amazing to me how much research is out there about this stuff that suggests all kinds of dangers that have never been addressed today. Because you know what they were, I, I argue they were hoping that most average people didn't even catch on to the fact this was something different. They, of course, they keep trying to conflate this is, you know, decades of science, vaccines have been safe your whole life. So therefore this one is too, just nonsensical arguments, conflating different technologies together. I, I it's, it's incredible to think that the mRNA in technology has shown that you will have other lasting effects after 30 years that could then create your system to have, it's almost like a long-term version of antibody-dependent enhancement or molecular mimicry or pathogenic priming. Either way, all of them are like, yep, yep, like with all the, it's there. If you can't see by now that you're being snowed in some way or another by your government, then I, I, it's just, it's impossible to reach you. There, this, these are questions, not, not saying all this proves every which way what we're saying, but these are valid questions from valid scientists and doctors that are educated on the topics that are saying, guys, this is not okay. And yet we just ignore that because some newspaper or some mainstream outlet said that that person's not trustworthy. Why don't you make up your own mind? But the point is, we've always sort of known natural immunity is better. Why all of a sudden are we having to throw that out? Right, right, exactly. And you know, I've been dying on that hill. I mean, it's incredible. And don't, it's not, let's not pretend like there's new evidence. That just shifted right in the beginning. It just shifted right when the vaccine became a discussion. It shifted into this is best and natural immunity is some kind of conspiracy theory. Like literally mainstream articles in quotes saying natural immunity in quotes is the newest conspiracy theory. I, I almost, my, my jaw hit the floor when I saw that, but 
it apparently didn't wake people up. Right, because if a child has a natural measles infection or a natural chickenpox infection, no pediatrician would say it's medically indicated to give them the measles vaccine or the chickenpox vaccine. Now, all of a sudden, medicine is changing, whereby even if you have the infection, you need to get the vaccine. Doesn't that strike you as odd? Does mean policy would all of a sudden change when it's never been like that before? Yep. Very good point. Very good point. Doesn't that matter? Shouldn't we reflect on the fact that they just arbitrarily shifted something that works in their benefit that has no basis in science? Nah, just trust the experts, right? Trust Fauci. Well, to, to finish this last segment off before we wrap up here, I made it really clear in that segment why it's so important from multiple different angles, why we need to be aggressively objective here, like more so than ever with this specific topic, but plenty of other topics like this that I do feel started in a very, very shaky standpoint. And I made the same point when I discussed this the last time right after our interview, our discussion rather with Whitney was simply that, is this possible? Of course it's possible. In no way was I ever arguing that this was impossible because of things like you're looking at right here and about the other eight articles we're going to show you in a second. All I argued was that I did not see the valid evidence from the fifth column going forward that this was in fact in what they were talking about or that it was verified what they were showing you was something that did in fact come from Pfizer. Like that needs to be proven to me. Just because you're holding a vial and you're saying that doesn't mean that it's the case. I consider it just like everything else. That's why we're talking about this today. But until that's, and I, I have not seen that in any shape or form, something that I've seen what you guys send me just because I disagree with you doesn't mean that, you know, like that has to be okay is the point. We need to be able to have amicable disagreements, especially on large topics like this. Now, here's why it's very clearly possible, if not likely, this is something that would be done in their benefit. Oh, and I guess I was going to grab the bio. So I have that bioethics discussion. Well, I guess that is kind of a good point. Here, let me grab this really quickly. Oops, that's the wrong one. This, this is a report that I've shown you before that discusses why, in their mind, you are going to do something like this. And I would, I would consider this bio you know, biomanipulation. I mean, these we're talking about self-assembling nanobots, what they're talking about, the graphene oxide discussion. Well, they're arguing, well, if we're going to do this, then it should be covert, right? That if we're actually going to do this, it's morally preferable for compulsory moral bioenhancement to be administered without the recipients knowing that they're receiving the enhancement. Well, that seems pretty interesting. This was discussed on August 29th, 2018. We'll keep that in mind as we go through these. Okay, so here's 2016. And the point is that they're openly investigating, specifically in this case, graphene oxide, in context of vaccine nanoadjuvants. <clears throat> okay, so it's not like it's some crazy thing they make it seem like in the media. They're openly discussing this in real-world research, peer-reviewed and otherwise. And then they argue, well, if we're going to do that, we should do it without them knowing because it's better. Okay, well, let's go through this a little bit. February 2016. Functionalized graphene oxide serves as a novel vaccine nanoadjuvant for robust stimulation of cellular immunity. And again, to make clear, no other suggestion is being made other than that this is possible. And if you can't, if you look at this walking away, it's impossible, then you're, you're lying to yourself. It says, our work not only presents a novel, highly effective graphene oxide-based vaccine nanoadjuvant, but also highlights the critical roles of surface chemistry for the ra rational design of nanoadjuvants. Go to 2016. Not too close to today. Let's go forward to 2016 in October. So a few months later. 
Toxicity of graphene family nanoparticles, a general view of the origin. So the very the, in, in the same year, there was, okay, we also point out that various factors determine the toxicity of graphene, uh, it was graphene family nanomaterials, including the lateral size, surface structure, functionalization, charge, impurities, aggregations, and even something called the corona effect. That's funny. Well, I don't feel there's any real connection to anything in, in regard, regard to today. You can look up the corona protein and the corona effect in general long before COVID-19, and it's in regard to a specific protein, and there's an electrical conversation in there, like how it works with some kind of electrical... You can look into it for yourself. Now, it's interesting, nonetheless, the corona effect, but interesting that there is the obvious discussion about the electronic kind of the way that this can be worked in more ways than just an adjuvant, right? That there are ways we've discussed and how this specific technology is used in a lot of different ways, which makes it more concerning to be in your body in the way that they're openly discussing it right here in this study. But it says several typical mechanisms underlying the family, the graphene family nanomaterials toxicity have been revealed. For instance, physical destruction, oxidative stress, DNA damage, inflammatory response. So these are all things that sound very damaging and all the things that seem to perfectly align with what we're seeing happen in the world today. That's an interesting point. All of it. Every one of those things you're seeing happen under the guise of, or not under the guise of, but I argue are happening as a result of vaccine injury. But this is discussing graphene because they say isn't used, right? But interesting crossover. So we should ask whether it is. It's like a valid point. 2017, one year forward. Graphene in the immune system. A romance of many dimensions. So, so far you should be going, okay, if you thought this was the most fringe, crazy, stupid conspiracy theory, well, at this point you should be going, okay, wait a minute. Obviously they've researched it for this exact purpose. So why is it such a fringe conspiracy theory, right? Graphene-based materials or GBMs are emerging as attractive materials for specifically biomedical applications. That was 2017. Here we discuss recent studies on the interactions of these materials with different uh, phagocytic cells, including microphages, neutrophils, and dendritic cells. It says graphene and its derivatives, that in my mind includes graphene hydroxide, have attracted considerable attention for various applications in science and technology. Graphene oxide in particular is being intensively investigated for various biomedical applications, including drug delivery and bioimaging as, and as biosensors. So intensively, intensively investigated for exactly what they're saying is fake news in 2017. Hmm. That's interesting, is it not? If it was intensively investigated, wouldn't we have a concluding conversation where they realized it wasn't the right thing to use? Well, that didn't happen. So where did it fall? Well, let's keep going. Let's follow along. Here's 2018. Graphene and graphene oxide as nanomaterials for medicine and biology application. So now we've jumped away from here. We have it for a lot of... Now they're going specifically just for medicine and biology in this study. Graphene and graphene oxide-based nanomaterials, that includes graphene hydroxide, are, have gained broad interest in research because of their unique physiochemical properties. The 2D allotropic structure allows it to be used in various biological fields. The biomedicine application, so like vaccines, of graphene and its composite include its use in gene and small molecular drug delivery. That's what we're talking about. That's exactly what we're at here. I think that was it in this one. Let's go to 2019. 2019, just on a PDF, it's the new era of vaccines. Well, look at that. We're on the cusp of COVID-19 right here. The nano-vaccinology. Hmm. 
Vaccinations are the most effective preventative methods against infectious diseases. And okay, well, this seems very closely tied to what we're dealing with today, does it not? Well, here's exactly what it says. Among carbon nanoparticles, carbon nanotubes or CNTs, we've discussed all of this, by the way, all the stuff we've discussed from all this from the past interviews and discussions. I don't know why we get railed on for not going over this, have received a great attention because of their exceptional features that make them usable in many industrial fields. Uh, uh, carbon nanotubes are engineered nanoparticles formed by a thick sheet of graphene that rolls up to form a hollow cil- cin- cylinder, cylinder named single-walled CNT. Now, we've discussed these uh, nanotubes as well and showed the graphene tube and the thing rolling around and all this. We've gone through all this in the past. 2019, which brings us to 2020. Right up until inside the pandemic, or at, well, yeah, August 2020. So we're so we're told in the beginning of the of the so-called pandemic. So in that, here's what it says: recent progress. So meaning it was continuing; it had been worked on and continued to be worked on into 2020. But it's a totally fake news, crazy conspiracy, right? Recent progress of graphene oxide as a potential vaccine carrier and adjuvant. Hmm, really crazy stuff, right? Here it says. There is an urgent need to develop new all-purpose adjuvants because some adjuvants approved for human use have limited functionality. Okay, well, exactly. But we've are, all our limitations are going to be solved by this new thing. Graphene oxide, widely employed. Okay, so we're at a point now where they're literally saying that it is widely employed for delivery of biomolecules. It excels in loading and delivering antigen and shows the potentiality for activating the immune system. But it's total fake news conspiracy theory as it's widely employed for exactly this purpose. You following? However, graphene oxide aggregates in biological liquids and induces cell death. Hmm, sounds like a good thing to be widely deploying for that purpose. And it also exhibits poor biosolubility and biocompatibility. To address these limitations, various surface modification protocols have been employed to integrate aqueous compatible substances with graphene oxide to effectively improve its biocompatibility. So instead of just going, well, let's, you know, use things that work. (laughs) No, we want to use this. We want to make this work. So we're going to find ways to circumvent the problems, which is what we keep seeing. You can go all the way back to the the polio uh, injection, which then transitioned over into the polio uh, uh, orally administered. And the reason they did that, if you go through the history, is because they discovered monkey viruses. And instead of going, well, that's compromised, they just went, well, if we put it in the mouth, the stomach deals with that. This is, I'm, it's in that book, Emerging Viruses. The point is, guys, that that is a way around the problem, not dealing with the problem. And then you got monkey viruses in your body. And then the point is, well, they said it would go away. But then the point is, you can find research that suggests that that was the premise, the basis for a lot of things that happened later, like immunocompromised disorders. Or even going further back in history, that the exact problem with monkey viruses are what created the HIV problem and AIDS. Now, these are just PhDs and medical doctors and their research and their theorization based on the data, but read it for yourself. The point is, there's a lot that goes on in these things that cause problems like lipid nanoparticles that instead of dealing with the problem, they just sidestep it with something else. For their own benefit, just like this sounds right here. Now it says, more importantly, these modifications render functionalized graphene oxide with superior properties as both carriers and adjuvants. That's vaccines. That's in vaccines. That's what it's talking about. So why is this so crazy? 
because the mainstream said it was. Herein, the the recent progress of physiochemical properties and surface modification strategies of graphene oxide for its application as both carriers and adjuvants is reviewed. Now it says, due to its unique physiochemical properties, graphene oxide is widely employed in medicine for purposes of photothermal treatment of cancer, drug delivery, antibacterial therapy, and medical imaging. Okay, that's right there. It's very clear that they're telling you that this is used widely employed, in fact, in 2020 for drug delivery. So, again, why is it crazy? Our work describes the surface modification of graphene oxide and for the first time summarizes that functionalized graphene oxide serves as a vaccine carrier and shows significant adjuvant activity in the activating cellular and humoral immunity. In the future, it is expected to be introduced into vaccine research and to prove the efficacy of vaccines. Okay. So is it possible? Well, quite obviously it's possible. Then we dance back over to this point. Well, if we are talking about bioenhancement, which is what this would ultimately amount to, they argue that it is morally preferable for compulsory to force it on you moral bioenhancement to be administered without the recipients knowing. So if they were going to do this, the argument is we might as well do it secretly because that's better for everyone. Okay, so I think it's pretty damn clear that we should be able to acknowledge that this is not as crazy as they want you to think it is. Now, do we know for sure that this is in these injections? In my opinion, we don't. I still believe that. I don't think this is as sound as some people believe it is. But we have to realize how crazy it is that something like that, that was explicitly studied for the exact purpose they're telling you is like tinfoil hat off the rails craziness. Doesn't that seem odd? As Pilevsky says, doesn't seem odd to just suddenly shift and say, well, (laughs) as the stream cuts out, I bet you it's been doing that the entire time. Jeez. Looks like the script has the screen been cutting out the entire time. It probably has as we're covering a very important. Hmm, frustrating. I'm going to wait a second to hope this settles out. Let me know in the chat if it's been cutting out the whole time, because that's really frustrating to me. There's no reason that should be happening. All right, well, I'll continue. Let me know you can still hear me. I'm turning off my cam in hopes that'll help. Give me a, give me an update in the chat and I'll finish this out, guys. Let me know you can still hear me and everything's going well. Okay. Okay, good. Good, good, good. Ah, it looks like they're coming after us now, guys, because we're... <laughs> well, no, and, you know, and just one last address to the chat. And it's like me, me and Bert here having like a little argument inside the show. <laughs> Look, that's the best place to end with. Right in in regard to what he's saying in the chat, in my opinion, it's been proven enough for him, and that's and that's fair. I value that. I appreciate that. That's all that matters, right? So keep bringing the information. That's all that, and I will completely continue to be receptive to it. But it's okay that we can stand differently on what we think we're looking at. That is how it's important, right? So thank you for, and that's important, right? It's okay that we may disagree on small points, but look, I think we can all acknowledge that there's something very fishy about how obviously this was pushed and focused on just for this purpose. And then right in the middle of this thing, it shifts into fake news, right? Not even the fact that we can like, it's in the vaccine, but just discussing graphene oxide as a possible adjuvant is fake news. Just like discussing the idea that 
Klaus Schwab has a global agenda is fake news, literally despite him saying his global agenda, right? That's where we are today, guys. We need to start recognizing that I genuinely think we're at a point that they would do this covertly if they decided themselves it was for the best interest of their agenda and they could frame it as the best for you. It may already be happening. I genuinely believe that. But this is enough for you to at least consider what's going on. Now to finish, regardless of all the things we always show you, Hawaii is about to require travelers to have the booster. Just like we told you, and just like they said was going to be fake news. Now you have to be triple boosted, triple shotted, triple whatever you want to call it, to be able to go into Hawaii. Okay, good. Read the chat. Reasonably consistent. So why is, why does that make sense after we just showed you that all of the science is showing the boosters don't really continue, that they fail immediately, and that they have basically no effect against Omicron? But just do it because that's what we're told we're supposed to do. Think about how crazy this is. Even as their mainstream narrative is falling apart, there's in some places they're just still going forward. Because it was never based on science. That's why, guys. Justin Hart makes a great point. Just another random point to point out here. People that believe in the narrative. Masks work. But we're at N95. That's the new evolution of it, right? Even though the very people that were screaming that cloth masks will save your life and we're bad people for not doing it. And now we're going, but cloth masks don't work now. And we always, you kind of knew that. Oh, did you? <laughs> did you? Did you always know that? Even as you were yelling, I was a crazy conspiracy theorist for saying the cloth mask didn't work moments ago. Oh, I'm glad you always knew that. Yeah, this is psychosis, right? The idea that you can be like, I knew, even though you just said it was, you know, it's just so crazy. But the point is that all of them don't work in regard to transmission. That's the same point they made from day one. And the same point that's verified by the peer-reviewed research. Not N95s, not medical masks, not surgical masks, not cloth masks. They do not have statistically significant effect on transmission. And it's the same point. They're just giving you a bone with cloth masks, even though they made you and most people wear those specifically knowing they increase your risk of infection. But now that we've made the shift and they pretend they always knew that, they're, well, where are the masks? Specifically N95s. And he goes, well, so I don't have to wear one then, right? Because N95s protect the wearer and not me. Oops. Most of them anyway. That's the point. Remember that? N95s only protect you when you breathe in. The valve opens when you breathe out. So how exactly does that make sense? What about protecting my grandma? I thought that was, a, I thought that was the whole point, right? I was just looking at an image, by the way, of doctors sharing their faces with their N95s, trying to make the argument of how overworked they are and how we're trying to save your lives, when really what it shows you is how terrible these things are for your body, and how they have cuts and bruises and shawl, you know, and then all the stuff that comes along with the breathing problems that all the peer-reviewed science has shown over and over and over, from the NIH to the WHO, and that they cause hypoxia and hypercapnia, but we pretend it's fake news. The point is... Their entire narrative is so broken now that they're shifting to N95s and that challenges the original claim. What about the people around you? And his point is, well, why would I wear one if everybody's wearing N95s? They're all protecting me. <laughs> it's just so frustrating how stupid this is. And if you want to really see one more point about how they're breaking all this down, we just discussed how the, uh, might as well just show this first, the Ministry of Health. Professor Ehud Kimron in Israel is saying it's time to admit that we have failed. We failed you. We are wrong. That's what's coming out right now. And here on top of that is what the Israeli uh, vaccine chief, the chief, the vaccine chief in Israel is now saying this. Listen up. You know, th th there is one mistake I think that we made and that I'm extremely sorry for that. You know, we have made a few mistakes, but again, is education. 
for me, education was the thing we shouldn't have touched. Never, never. No school uh, closures, no sending exactly. universities home. Exactly, exactly, exactly. This, this will have some repercussions in the future. And that's the thing, you know, I'm, I'm extremely sorry about. We know, for example, you know, we closed schools. We know that other countries didn't close schools. And I'm jealous of that. I'm jealous of that. Again, true, uh, you know, uh, especially in Israel, education has a, such a high, you know, you know, it's, it's a, such a high priority. I'm sorry that we, we did what we had to do. Some of us, you know, went and talked to politicians. I remember myself at the, at the uh, Israeli... That, that's generally the point. I mean, just recognizing that he's openly saying that we made a mistake and that hot, closing schools was one of the biggest ones. And yet here we are where your government is acting like that's the most cherished thing. We have to make sure that the kids are safe in school. We can't, we'll close them and we'll force them to wear masks. And it's, we are destroying their lives. And at their least, this Israel chief scientist is telling you that that was a mistake, but your government doesn't care about that. Here he is saying something else that I find even more important. So we did believe at that time that vaccines can prevent also transmission and the data was also in that sense. So what we believe is that, you know, vaccines can prevent transmission perhaps shortly after administered, but not over a long period of time. And therefore, yes, we were surprised to discover at the end of the day that, no, the vaccines are not protecting us. They are not causing what we call sterilizing immunity. The vaccines are not protecting us. He just said that. The vaccines are not protecting us. They're not causing sterilizing immunity. That challenges everything you're hearing on the mainstream media. Even reducing the symptoms. If they're not protecting us, they're not protecting us. Time that vaccines can prevent. Also- and that's what he's saying here. So we did believe at that time that they could prevent transmission. Implying that they don't because they don't. Right? Make sure we understand that. Corridors. Out of joy. It's over. So... We did believe at that time that vaccines can prevent also transmission. And the data was also in that sense. So what we believe is that, you know, vaccines can prevent transmission perhaps shortly after administered, but not over a long period of time. Now, for, now we clear that he's talking about that before the, sh- the shift with Omicron and everything else. He's saying back with Delta and before that, that we realized that they could prevent transmission for a short period of time, maybe. That's not true. And I've made that very clear. And even that is sort of an admission to that fact, because that challenges the exactly what the media is telling you. But now we know for sure that it doesn't, which also challenges what they're trying to scream at you. Just get the third one and it'll work. No, it won't. It really won't. And the data backs that up and they are lying. They are drowning in their lies. Therefore, yes, we were surprised to discover at the end of the day that no, the vaccines are not protecting us. They're not causing what we call sterilizing immunity. The nap. Very important. Very, very, very important. And don't forget, here we are looking at the a mainstream outlet in, I, what was it again? It was Denmark. I think it was Danish mainstream media. Just simply saying, we failed. We failed you. And we we already went over this. They failed you because of exactly what we're talking about, that they trusted the government. The government lied to them, the data with and from and everything else. They are sorry they failed. But apparently Fox and CNN, they don't care. We're, We're right in lockstep, just like they're supposed to be, according to the government. Well, to finish, 
case we missed it, in case you didn't see it, the absolute non-emergency that we're currently in, right? Situation where the vast majority of the population is at dramatically less risk than even the flu. And on top of that, that you're already telling us that 60% of the population has been has gotten something that's supposed to protect them. And on top of that, we know that vast more than half the population already has natural immunity. And on top of that, we're dealing with something that you're telling us is not very dangerous. I mean, on and on, but we just renewed the national emergency on January 14th. Why? Well, let's take a look. The renewal, the renewal of determination that a public health emergency exists. Why? Well, as a result of the continued consequences. Oh, great. So the ongoing continued consequences of whatever they're calling COVID will go on forever. That's the point. Long haul and vaccine administration and adverse event, whatever else they want to frame on this. COVID, they keep telling you is never going to go away, right? They keep telling you that. Pfizer just said that. It's never going to, it's going to come around forever. It's going to be a cycle of vaccination and revaccination as they keep telling you. So is it pretty clear to you that we can argue that the continued consequences of something that's never going away will always have consequences? Yeah, that's pretty obvious. So this is never, ever, ever going away. Just like the public emergency from every, from, from, the Patriot Act enshrined in the law or the opioid crisis that, by the way, is still technically an emergency. I factor that in. How does that make sense to you? These things just never end. This is a power grab. They are pulling this forward, dragging this forward. Now, the point is it's supposed to be every 90 days. And some of these cases, they have lapsed a few days, which means shows you that it really doesn't even matter. This is just dragging this forward. We're not in an emergency, guys. Their own act, their own information shows you we're not in an emergency. But they'll continue to do this to give themselves the power they think they need to be able to steal what's yours. On that note, kind of hard to read this, but I love this little meme. Random image of some car in the desert stuck in the ground. But it says, imagine someone tells you that there is an emergency and they need to borrow your car for 15 days. Two years pass. And they still have no criteria for when that emergency will end and no plans to give you your car back. Your car was stolen, dude. Wake up. <laughs> That's perfect. Exactly. It's time to see that your life was stolen. Wake up, right? That's where we need to come to right now. And as somebody points out, I think it's hilarious. Fauci in two years. It was your choice. Nobody made you get the shot, right? We can almost hear that. We can almost see that already beginning to flesh out. Very sad, but I know we're reaching more people every single day that we do this. I believe that. Every day we're doing this, we're reaching at least one more person, more, 10 more people, 20 more people, and then you share that with your people. It continues to grow. We are seeing this grow more than I've ever seen before. That's why they're trying to censor us so aggressively because we're reaching people. We're showing them how to be objective and apply discernment, and that is the last thing that they want. Absolutely. So thank you for being here, continuing to fight for this. You're having an effect. It may not be the end of this. I can almost promise it's not. But just recognize that you're making a difference, and that's all anybody can ask for. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. There comes a time when you do have to give up what you consider your individual right of making your own decision. It's time we started standing up to all of these mandates. You remember when the government told us, when Tony Fauci told us that we were going to lock down, he said it was for two weeks. And now it's been almost two years. 
And I'm going to tell you three things that you need to remember in this critical day and age. One is that once government acquires a power, it never lets it go voluntarily. The second thing that we need to know is that every power that government acquires using this pandemic as a pretense, it will ultimately abuse to the maximum effect possible. And this is just a rule that is as certain as gravity. The third thing that you need to know is that nobody has ever complied their way out of totalitarianism. Every time you comply, the demands will get greater and greater. We need to resolve that here and now, this is the hill that we need to die on. They have come for our jobs. They've come for our transport. Now they're coming for our children. And we have an obligation as parents to protect them. There has never been a government in history that has told its people we are going to demand that children sacrifice themselves and take risks to save old people. It's always the other way around. The old, the mature, the adults always put themselves at risk to protect their children. This is an ethical issue. It's a moral issue. It's an issue of character for each of us. And it's an issue about the preservation of democracy and public health. We all need to stand up now and do everything that we can to block these power plays by authoritarian powers that are trying to steal from us the health of our children.